Superman swims down, down, faster than an atomic submarine and finally settles in the depths of the murky waters and begins to decipher and learn the unique porpoise language. Yes, I understand. Your aquasphere has recently been polluted by a foul-smelling substance. All the fishes in the Crystal Point area have been overcome uh, by what? Oh, you call it the Tidal Marsh Madness. And because you dolphins breathe air, you have not gone mad. But you're having much trouble. Your eyesight's been affected. Hmm. Acne. Sore throats, huh? All my poor friends. We must do something immediately about these hideously polluting substances in our waters. Far beyond the power of man's sciences, Superman's supervision rapidly breaks down the substances composing the hideous pollutant as he makes a mental note of each chemical substance in its relationship to the horrible whole. Thank you, friends, for the invaluable information you've given me. Superman thanks the wise dolphins for their help and in one great jump rises out of the waters of Crystal Point. Um, yeah. What the fuck? Join David Ellis and Amy Morgan as they access 2099 Bitmap, a bi-weekly podcast exploring the world of Marvel 2099 through reviews and discussions. Download 2099 Bitmap at www.tfradio.net. Let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. And Michael Bailey, goddammit. And Michael Bailey. Hello and <laughs> welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday number 30. Um, I'm getting some sort of disturbance over Skype, so just bear with us. There seems to be some sort of odd noises coming in over the, over the, the wire, but I'll, I'll just soldier on. It is Comics Monthly Monday number 30. I'm here with my co-hosts, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey. Hello. Hey. 
and now 33% more, Michael Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> and counting. <laughs> How's it going, fellas? We've been shipping Michael Bailey like, you know, cheeseburgers on dry ice just so there's more of him. <laughs> God, I don't don't talk about that because I heard have that if, we, we heard that eventually that you'll split. Wouldn't that be handy? Twice as many podcasts? Think about that. I, I have been going to Zaxby's way too often lately. Scientists, get on that, man. We need a way to, to split, to have... We could. I would. I would mind splitting myself like an amoeba. A, you it would what? be great that morning when you woke up and had the little line right down the center of you, like a Chiron. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know I love you like a brother. We've been best friends over thirty years, but one of you is fucking plenty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just I didn't know who the- I didn't well, know I could send one of them right down to Florida. He send one of them right down to Florida. He'll camp out in your backyard and go to Disney every day with you. <laughs> we go to work, Scott. You go to work. Can't catch a ride with you. Yeah, but it'll be like that one copy from Multiplicity that wasn't quite all there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely. the copy we have now. <laughs> well, imagine <laughs> as it splits more and more. <laughs> We're terrible human beings. <laughs> we are. We are. You know what I haven't seen since I've been in the state of Florida? I haven't seen a Zaxby's. Because my wife and I used to love to go to that one. In, oh, uh, man. Delta. The wings and that, things platter? I always got the uh, the um, the you salad. Know, the blue. What was it called? A blue salad. It was like a, you know, it's like a salad with like buff. Oh, buffalo blue. That's what it was called. You have like the buffalo right, wing guys. chicken pieces in it. But then it had, like, blue cheese crumbles on it. Oh, my God, was that awesome. Yeah, easy, big guy. Listen, we're going to have to have a special segment of the show called, you know, Fast Food and Comics Monthly Monday because that's what happened last month as we got into some. We even we have even, as you will hear at some point, have gotten responses (laughs) from our (laughs) listeners. Yes, we did. uh, Of all all the comic talk we did. What's the response we get? Somebody has to (laughs) tell us, you know, school us on fast food. Oh, God. I can't yeah. wait to hear. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, two true freaks. It is the intrepid co host of the uh, Vault of Starling Monster Hard Tales of Terror himself, Chris Tyler, aka the Hand Metal Hero. And I just listened to the latest comics monthly Monday, a day late, I know. Uh, it's the uh, Tuesday episode. That's okay. I listened to it. And the discussion late came up about fast food. Now, I need to weigh in on this, seeing as I'm a connoisseur. I'm a big fat bastard, and <laughs> well, I bet he's got a when I think about fast food, if I'm thinking about burgers themselves, <laughs> the only winner there is Burger King. Okay, I don't know about that. The flame broiled Whopper might be the greatest fast food burger that there is. Now I'm talking about the major chains here: your McDonald's, your Burger King, your Wendy's, Burger That's- King. He's the king for a fucking reason. I, how can you say that loyalty Burger King is a better burger okay. than Wendy's? Now, if you want to talk pie? breakfast, get all the fucking pancakes, <laughs> all that bullshit. <laughs> you need to go to McDonald's. Well, I tried to, to go to McDonald's. Cheese McGriddle. That is the greatest fucking breakfast creation I do, though, the ever. Flame, the flame broiled handheld awesomeness. Flame broiled flavor that shit is King awesome. Can't be they are lethal. I mean, they're like I the worst fucking on. thing you can eat. But goddamn, they taste good. <laughs> yeah, those McGriddles I know. Are awesome. I put away several of them, usually at the same time. They are. They're really now, good. Now, if you want to talk your chicken, 
chicken nuggets, and you know specifically. Donald's pretty good. Burger King. I stay away from their chicken most of the time. Wendy's. Wendy's does nuggets, have the best the nuggets. Shit. Those are the nuggets that you want. Get that honey mustard. Get that shit in. It is it's delicious. Like of the minds. Now, great. having said all that, <laughs> everybody knows that I'm a big fat bastard now, and I've outed myself as a fast food freak. I don't care. I have an office job. Sucks. I need to get the fuck out of the office. And when I do, I go and get fast food. It is my escape. Not the greatest thing for me to do. My doctor even said he wouldn't give me a five-year life insurance policy. But I'm working on that. I just felt I needed to weigh in on this. Thing I'm, and, I'm you know, with you there, Metal Nobody's going to put the final stand kind of a fat bastard Agree with me, disagree with me. I don't know. <laughs> get on the forums, people. Talk to me. We can talk about this shit. Tell me about fast food I haven't had. I need to know these things. All right. That's all I'm going to say. out of Texas. My God, that's I've a religious heard, experience. I've heard about those. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half minutes on fast food. Yeah. I, I love the show. That's what, Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> it's just funny. It's just like both. Yeah. yeah. You're not a the fat bastard, Mike. You're just a bastard. <laughs> no, he's right about Wendy's chicken nuggets, though. They are the most chicken-tasting nuggets outside of Chick-fil-A, which is always going to be the best with chicken. I've never never eaten at Chick-fil-A. Really? Yeah. We don't have them up, up here. You probably have them at a mall. Do you guys have five guys? Yeah. out there? Fuck. Yes. Okay. Holy yeah, no. I don't eat there but once a year because, and I bring the paddles with me. And get yeah, it exactly. Up like right before because my God, you bite into it and the grease is just coming down your mouth. They're out of Manassas, Virginia, and my sister who lives in that area had been eating them for years before they started um, going uh, to other places. So. We had one at my the old job. The, I mean, the old store I worked at had one right next door, and that was dangerous, is what that was. Yeah, they're and, good, uh, but I I eat one of those things, and I can just picture what's happening inside my stomach <laughs> is that there's one giant glob of grease that's like the commander, and he's like, "Okay, boys, spread out, find those arteries." Yeah, I used to have I I, I used to not be able to eat fast food because I stopped eating it for years, and I've been starting to dip my toes back in. So far, the only one I can't touch is KFC, but Five Guys, like, the first time I went to a Five Guys, I was like, I'll just get a burger, you know? So I ordered, I didn't know that a burger is two burgers. Yes. You have to order, like, the mini or, you know, some, it's some something kind of humiliating to order, like, you know, a half <laughs> burger or something, or the pussy burger or something <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> but uh, uh, half a man burger some or something. Some places the pussy burger is not bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you know, but the, you know, there's we laugh at that, but it's gonna be like idiocracy. There's gonna be a chain restaurant called like TR Pussy Burgers, you know. <laughs> come in and try our patented chocolate hair pie. Here's your Delicious. extra big ass fries. Yeah, I know. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Speaking of movie commentaries, we really need to do that one one of these days. What, what idiocracy? idiocracy? Yeah, freaking love. I've that. never seen it. Oh, oh my dude. god, it's genius. It is. I like it Mike is. Judge too, so I need to. I, I thought Office Space was brilliant. This, this is, this is, this is more far out humor than Office Space, but it's 
you know uh, what is it? It said like 500 years in the future, but you watch yeah. it and you go, it's not going to take no, 500 no, years. Exactly. <laughs> maybe 50, maybe 50. Yeah. See, I'm, you know, and and the, here's the thing is, I'll, I'll preface it with this, Mike. The you, the movie's either going to make you laugh your ass off, or you're going to look at a lot of it and go, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Because. You know, <laughs> I, I really found a fondness for that movie after living in Georgia for 17 years because that's that's where I could look around and go, nah, this shit's not gonna take, take it take a zero off that 500, maybe yeah, exactly. at most. Because I mean, there's so much of that movie that rang true to me as like right around the corner. You know what I mean? Everybody yeah. speaks yeah. in a combination of like Valley Girl, like Ebonics, and like Hispanic. Speak, but like all the dumbest aspects of all three of those thrown together, and that's what everybody talks like. And you know, the protagonist was—it's a time travel sort of story, you know. So he's like a Van Winkle type thing, right? Right. And you know, so when he speaks in normal English, they're just like, you know, they're like, "What are you speaking British?" Or you talk like a fag and stuff like that. Everybody's like, (laughs) "See, I'm telling you, he talks all weird," you know. (laughs) <laughs> there, I'll spoil one part of that movie, and, and this this is one of the parts that I think perfectly illustrates what I'm what I'm talking about. How I feel like I, I could just walk I could have walked out my front door in Carrollton and had this actually happen to me. Is there's a part in the movie where the the protagonist of the movie gets locked up and he goes to prison, right? And he's uh-huh. scared shitless. He knows something bad is going to happen to him, and he's completely fucked. So there's this part where he's being marched down a down a hallway, and I think he's headed to like his cell or something. And there's his line that's going into the prison, and then there's another line of people that are being let out of the prison. And he just, when he gets to a certain point, there's this guard who's this big, fat, stereotypical, just dumbass redneck guy, and he walks up to him and he goes, um. Um, excuse me, he goes, I-, I really think I'm supposed to be in that line. And the guy like cuffs him in the head and he goes, you dumbass. And he puts him in the outgoing line. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's like some of the fucking people that I dealt with when I lived in Georgia. It's like, yeah, yeah, they are about that swift sometimes. And so. then they call you dumb. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Time, uh, yeah. yeah, the ones that almost cream you, T-bone you at an intersection, and then have the nerve to flip you off and call you a dumbass <laughs> exactly. when they just ran through a fucking red light, you know, yeah, shit like that. So stupid asshole. But like I say, you know, I I I, I get down on that sort of thing with the with the get southerners down, sometimes, man. which I know is one of one of Mike's pet peeves. What do you call it, Mike? The the how we did things back in Boston or whatever that I've heard you oh, say yeah, this it's before. The, it's it's the Lewis it's the Lewis Grizzard thing. Uh, he's like, come down, you know, Lewis Grizzard, the sage of the South. He was a a sports writer, but he was also a columnist for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Uh, really funny guy, and, and and his whole thing about the South was, you know, it's like, come on down, breathe our air, marry our women, just don't tell us how you did it in Cleveland, <laughs> right? And, and you really can't do that because they, you know, living in the South is is different from living in the North, and it's not different from living in the North because right. you run into dumbasses everywhere. So right, it's just, yes. 
Nobody uh, has the copyright, yeah. There's just a greater preponderance per square inch, I think, in the it's, South. It's the real problem, though. It's a different type of dumbass, though. Right. I think the dumbass in the South might just advertise a little more, might just have better PR, you know? <laughs> Which, in a way, is better. It's the same It's the same with racism in the South. At least when you see racism in the South, a lot of the times, if somebody's like a racist you know they're a racist they're kind of yeah, proud of it freaking honest uh, right up right. here in the north there's everybody going there's no racism up north you know and we don't and have as racism as, here. as soon as there's a, a group of three ever. people two whites and one black and the black walks away suddenly the racism comes out so yeah don't tell don't tell yeah me yeah that. you lived up here you know what it's oh, like yes. yeah, yeah the big yeah. The i biggest... live in a super liberal city and there's racism all over the place so you know the, the difference between living in the North and the South, the, the biggest difference that I found is that, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, Allentown area. I was like an hour and a half away from Gettysburg, right? My dad was a big Civil War buff, so we went there a lot. And the Civil War, as taught in the North, is taught a lot like World War Two is, you know. We won, they lost, you know, yay us. Right. And it was all about slavery. You move to the South, there are people still fucking fighting it. Right. And it's all about states' rights. Right. We're, we're just stealth right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're just in stealth mode. We're, we're, I, we're doing a rope-a-dope. And I don't mind living in the South. I, you know, my wife was born and raised down here. I love her to death. So I, I, I am not as prone to make fun of the people I live around as much one out of a sense of self-preservation <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and, and two, just because you know like I said there's dumbasses everywhere it's just you know the dumbasses down here happen to have a, a very thick southern accent I mean I'm sure if you go into New York there's somebody with a thick New York accent well or yeah yeah or dumbasses out in Minnesota are, are like, you know, people, you know, like watching, a, you know, Fargo's on the TV all yeah. of a sudden. Don't you know? Hoofty, hoofty. Play me that polka, big boy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I believe in, I believe stupidity is universal. Is I guess, the theme of what I am trying to say. Yes. <laughs> well, I will reference all our listeners to the Frank Zappa song, Dumb All Over. And that pretty much says it all. <laughs> but comics. I was it's just so funny. Say. In, the, in the half hour before we started the show, we talked a ton of comics. <laughs> and now we're talking about food and like racism. <laughs> you should have recorded that. <laughs> I did, but it was also interspersed with other things that cannot never hear all our secret plans that can never reach the, the, the prying ears of the masses. Shh. Exactly. Now, who wants to uh, run first? What's what's new for you in the world of comics? I'll go. Um, I requested off last Saturday and got to attend Free Comic Book Day, uh, which is uh, it's its tenth anniversary, if I'm correct. Oh wow! Um, and for those of you who are not aware, Free Comic Book Day is uh, a kind of a misnomer because comic shops actually have to pay for the books. And then they give it to us for free. I don't quite know how that works out, but you know, yeah. whatever. But um, the fir- usually it's the first weekend of May, and then usually it's when Marvel is releasing a movie. Seems to work out that way more often than not, really. I remember the first Spider-Man film came out the same weekend as Free Comic Book Day and all that. 
So, uh, I did not go to Dave's Comics, which is my current comic shop. Uh, my, Scott knows who I'm talking about. My friend Garrett Eisen mm-hmm. uh, and I got together at his comic shop because we both went to Titans. And then Titan, the Titans on the south side closed, so I stayed on the south side. And since he lives in freaking Kennesaw <laughs> and would drive down to uh, College Park to get his comics he decided no this time i'm going a little closer to home so i got up bright and early saturday uh showered shaved which really made me feel awkward as a comic fan right (laughs) out of place (laughs) today of all days i should not bathe but since i don't like smelling like ass i will do so anyways and i drove up to marietta mayretta as some people around here call it Apparently there's a big chicken thing in Marietta. I, I, I didn't get to see it. Ran into a crap load of construction because I didn't know it was up there. Otherwise, I would have taken I-285. And went to a shop called The Great Escape. And it's this nice... It's a smaller store. It's in uh, the same strip mall as like a big Publix and everything. But it's a very nice, very clean, very well-lit store. Places packed to the roof to comp with comics. Uh, the I met the owner, uh, very nice guy. I was very impressed with this store on a number of levels. All of the employees asked if I needed anything. Wow. But they, they weren't pushy. They're like, do you need anything? Well, if you need anything, let me know. And that's really all I need. I, you know, since I work retail, I'm very sensitive to customer service. Scott and I right. have talked about this a thousand times. Uh-huh. And... Even though it's a comic shop and even though it's a fun place and all that, I expect the same level of professionalism from people at a comic shop, especially towards new customers, as I do if I go to like Target or Walmart or, you know, any other store. So very nice people. Another thing I was impressed with is I think it was the owner's wife. I could be wrong about this, though. Was Was she hot? Um, she was attractive. Um, she was out front with a clipboard in hand, and every person that was leaving, she stopped them. She asked them if they had been to the store before, and she signed them up for the email and the Facebook page. Oh, wow. And, and I'm like, that's brilliant. I mean, it's really great to see a shop that wants your business, that yeah. wants to come back. Well, it's a good idea to put your hot wife in a skimpy bikini out there taking names <laughs> too. That's not, not what he wife. said. Well, that's, that's what I heard. Oh, Rachel, no, my wife, Rachel, uh, when we would, a couple, the first couple of years we did Dragon Con, we, uh, we worked at the Titans booth and she would always wear something very low cut and revealing and sold a crap load of comics. Yeah, exactly. So, she's like, I'm doing this on purpose. And I love her. Um, but very <laughs> nice. Um, they were having a sale where they, in the front outside of the store, they had 50% off graphic novels, and I didn't really see anything I liked because I think all the good stuff got picked over before I got there. Uh, but all of the back issues, if you spent 20 or more dollars in back issues, everything was 50% off. So I picked up the four variant covers to War of the Superman, since my new obsession now is Superman variant covers. But for 20 bucks in really good condition, I got... Superman number 199, the very first race between the Man of Steel and the Scarlet Speedster. Oh, the yeah. Fall. It's so funny you mentioned that. The, the, uh, my new local comic shop just put that one up 
as uh, like on their case and they're like, you know, have that comic fan in your life, get them this, you know, get them this comic. And uh, so I was just looking at that like two days ago. They wanted 65 buckaroonies for it. If it's in good condition, that's good. That's a good. That's a good price for it. Was it was in pretty had, decent shape. Yeah. They had theirs at forty, but I got it for fifty percent off, so I ended up getting it wow. for twenty. And that's and that's one of those books that's that I've nice. wanted. To, I'm, I'm I'm collecting old Superman books to begin with, and that was that's a nice one to have in the collection. Well, those you know, I what mean, comics th- like that are in the antique land now. Yeah. You know, that, so they're you know you yeah. What do you think that one would be worth? Signed, <clears throat> excuse me, signed by Murphy Anderson. Um, if you got a certificate of authenticity, probably quite a bit. I don't know that I'd ever get rid of it, but yeah, I, I, I have had that since I was a kid and uh, at one of the Ithacons. It says here, the note I've got here says 15. I don't know how long ago that was. I'm sure 20 years or better. I got it signed by, uh, by Murphy Anderson, who was the nicest guy. I mean, just, just is he still alive? Do you know if he's still around? Um, he was back in 2008 because I met him at Metropolis, and he was a very nice guy. Yeah, very isn't he tired? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, I was gonna Co- say he's got to be old. Uh, a couple other things I liked about the shop: all of the new issues were in order, and they even left like one or two months worth of stuff on the shelf. So if you missed an issue, you had an opportunity to pick it up. <laughs> and I like they, that. They yeah, remodeled too. their store. Uh, I forget how long ago the owner told me, but they basically took a quarter of the store and turned it into one of the most impressive and neatly organized graphic novel and trade paperback selection I have ever seen in a comic shop. They're all there. They're in alphabetical order. They're in good condition. And it was just it's just really nice to see. Uh, and the guy was telling me that they saw the writing on the wall as far as trade paperbacks, so they invested in the shelves and everything and started picking them up, and apparently they do pretty good business with it. So if you're in Marietta, Georgia, I would heartily recommend The Great Escape, uh, and it was really nice getting up there and hanging out with Garrett, who I don't get to see all that much anymore, and we uh, we went over to the Publix and got a sandwich, which I don't know if you know this, but Publix has really great sandwiches. <laughs> like, awesome, awesome deli-type sandwiches. Don't spend the extra $2 on the boar's head meat. It doesn't really fucking matter, trust me. <laughs> the, the standard <laughs> deli meat is just fine. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about, and it's oh, uh, the free comic book day books I got, which I haven't read any of them yet, but I picked up that you get you were allowed to get five, which I thought was fair. Oh, I got wow. the I got the Young Justice Batman Brave and the Bold Super Sampler, which I'm looking forward to going through because that's the the DC Kids book um, from last year, an Iron Man Nova comic, which uh, has some really neat looking artwork. Um, not sure if I like it or not, but it but it's but it's very stylized. Did you the say from Cap- last year? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I got that. I'm not sure I ever read it, but I know the one you're talking about. The Captain America Thor: The Mighty Fighting Avengers uh, free comic book day, and I looked through this, and I really don't like the art at all. It doesn't who is it? Um, who is that? Let me get to the splash page. I apologize. I- Vinny Coletta! <laughs> nice. Uh, Chris Samney. 
So Cap just looks really off. Uh, Thor looks decent, but Thor also looks like an emaciated 15-year-old boy. So uh, that's not what I think of when I think of Thor. Uh, Because I have to review it, which I still haven't done, so I'm sure Brad's going to be getting on me soon, the uh, Amazing Spider-Man free comic book day issue. Um, I'm kind of put off by this story almost immediately, though. Because Spider-Man's opening line is, Howdy, cheapskates! It's just like, really? You're, you're going to insult people? Coming in, you know, checking out your thing for the first time? Nice, nice going, Dan Slott. Um, and I, I picked up the Green Lantern one because I really liked the cover. I was kind of a little disappointed, though, because... It's, it's a reprint of the second part of Green Lantern's Secret Origin. Uh, by Jeff Johns and Ivan Rice, which isn't bad in and of itself, but DC didn't know what they wanted to promote in this free comic book day special. They didn't know if they wanted to promote Green Lantern, who's about to have a major motion picture, mm-hmm. or do we want to promote Flashpoint, uh, which is the next big crossover event? Because in the back you have uh, a Flashpoint preview. So I think it would have been better probably just for them to release a Green Lantern and a, and a Flashpoint one, but I don't know if that was logistically possible for them. Um, so another thing I wanted to mention, because I'm very excited about this, Netflix. Do either of you all have Netflix? My roommate no. has it. Okay, time to get Netflix. Eight ninety five a month. You can stream it through your Wii or your PS3 or Ow. your Xbox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stream it through your Wii. That just doesn't sound good. <laughs> they have a lot of it now, and by the Put end of the summer, we stream. <laughs> they're going to have even more. But Netflix is going to have by the end of the summer all of the '60s Marvel animated stuff. Spider-Man, <gasps> Amazing Friends, the. <gasps> Spider-Man regular series that was syndicated around the time, all the Marvel series from the 90s, all the current Marvel series, basically anything to do with Marvel and animated, it's going to be on Netflix. Wow. For streaming. And I am like really freaking excited to sit down and watch all those 60s cartoons again because, you know, a lot of people make fun of them these days. Not me. I think they're awesome. They're, they're goofy as hell, but they're so they're much fun, fun to watch. Yeah. Especially that Thor versus Hercules episode, which animates the, the issue where Thor and Hercules are fighting over Jane Foster in the middle of New York City. I fucking love that. I just posted a link to that uh, on uh, on YouTube on my Facebook today. Because I love that. Because every time I watch that, I think the same exact thing. It's like, where in the hell are the cops? Because they're just <laughs> running for their lives. Knocking buildings down and all this crazy, crazy, crazy shit. And you never see a single police officer. Through. Well, maybe at the be- end when the thing is over, you know, you got that like one Barney Fife that steps in and goes, all right, boys, break it up, you know. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> Yeah. More but damage I, uh, than 9-11, but <laughs> right. boys go about your, way, your your business. Well, Netflix does have the first four seasons of The Incredible Hulk. Uh, I'm hoping that eventually they'll start getting like the, the pilots from the 70s. Like the Doctor Strange. The live trial. action Bill yeah. Bixby. Okay, yeah. Yes. Um, but, but I'm eventually hoping they like, get like Captain America and Captain America 2, Death Too Soon, and the Doctor oh, Strange right. pilot, and uh, what else? The uh, 
the live action Spider-Man series and stuff like that. I'd really like to see that stuff. I have no idea why. I'd like to see all of the Incredible Hulk because I know that there's many episodes that I either didn't see or I don't remember because I, I watched the uh, the first season on DVD because for the longest time I believe that's all there was. But I, I wanted to keep going with it because I, I know that I definitely didn't see like the end of the series. I've never seen oh. the final movie, you know, the the Death of the Hulk movie that was really on, stuff like that. So yeah. You know, so yeah, I would like to to watch all that stuff, but a lot of the other stuff I remember. Like I remember the live action Spider Man, and it pretty much sucked. And uh, it, it could have been so much better, but unfortunately, it had the standard action TV series late seventies plots and bad guys. So, yeah, you know, Spider Man. I mean, could have if the technology were there, could have been such a kick ass TV show. You know, weekly yeah. TV show. My biggest problem with the Spider-Man live-action TV show of the 70s was, was that the only good bit of casting in the entire thing was Nicholas Hammond as Peter Parker. The rest of them sucked. You know, Aunt May was terrible. The dude that it played... Kept changing. Yeah, you know, the guy that played Jonah Jameson, he was all right, but he didn't look like Jonah Jameson, you know? And then... Uh, to my recollection, I don't think he ever fought like a super villain. It was always like hypnotists and mob bosses right, right. and shit. And then the, the again, this is game was fighting a clone of himself. Right? Yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. And again, this is my this could be my faulty memory, but I don't think Spider-Man spoke. So it always reminded yeah, me a did. lot. Oh, did he speak? Yeah, You're he thinking spoke. of Spidey's stupid stories. On well, see, Electric I was Company. thinking. Yeah, I was, and that's what it reminded me of. Is I, I could, I would swore that he didn't speak. Well, I, I, at least he did. He ever like wisecrack and like cut up while he was not, fighting not bad guys really. and stuff. Yeah, not see, that was missing. That's that's a needed element for for a well, Spider-Man. Also, what was missing is is Uncle Ben dying because he just right. became yeah. and just on Spider-Man. Though right. I, I read recently. Uh, and it was Lou Ferrigno that nixed this, apparently. But CBS, since CBS aired both series, The Incredible Hulk and The Amazing Spider-Man, or just Spider-Man, I think it was eventually, and since Universal had the rights to both, there were there was like, uh, it was put out there, well, let's team them both up in a movie, mm-hmm. like a TV movie. And I think that would have been fucking awesome. Just it, to see two live-action Marvel characters on screen at the same time. It could have well, given the Spider-Man Thor show on a sh- one of those Hulk movies. Yes, yeah, the he was first, the first reunion one. movie. Yeah, yeah, Thor was in it. Which you know, granted that the Thor and you know the Donald Blake relationship, everything it it, it does not even remotely resemble comic book Thor. Despite all that, I kind of liked it. It, it was enjoyable. I would have liked to have seen it spin off in a series because basically it would have been them traveling town to town, writing wrongs and shit. Right. Uh, which I think would have been a lot of fun. The guy who played Thor in that movie is actually on a Disney Channel sitcom right now called Good Luck Charlie. He plays the dad. And I think it's really funny that the first guy to play the live action Thor now works for Disney. Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. So the Daredevil one was decent. Uh, you had Rex Smith, Street Hawk, as uh, as Daredevil. I liked that uh, one. It was okay. It just didn't have enough Hulk in it. It's like there was no right. Hulk out at the end of that film. 
I'm just like, what the hell? But it had uh, a, the woman who played like the Karen Page type character, even though I don't think she was named Karen Page. Um, her name was Nancy Everhard, and she kept popping up in comic book stuff all the time. She was in that Dolph Lundgren Punisher film, oh. and she was on a first season episode of Lois and Clark, too. So, huh. uh, The final one, not that bad. It, it has kind of a... a a silly premise to it, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of heart to it. There's no other superhero. It's just the Hulk. And, uh, I'll admit when I was 14 year old, 14 years old, I cried at the end when he died. My sister giving me shit the entire time. My mom yelling at her to shut up. It was God. Where'd that memory come from? I apologize. Shut up, the Hulk's dead. <laughs> shut up. He's been watching this show since he was a kid. <laughs> So. Speaking of speaking of crying and going way 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 back in our conversation here, I, I just wanted to point out that 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 I shed tears of joy and happiness recently when uh, when I heard that uh, Mike Judge is returning to Beavis and Butthead and there'll yes. be new episodes coming out. Yes. Man, I have waited so long for them to uh, to come back. So I'm I'm excited about that. I I hope that he can once again capture lightning in a bottle because I don't give a shit what anybody says. That was a brilliant show and I loved it. And I always regretted that it just kind of just kind of faded away, you know, with a whimper there at the end because I thought it was a yeah. great show. Well, it was it, it what was funny. It was um, it was at the beginning of our stupid culture. Right. But it was actually very intelligent because it was a right. commentary on stupid culture. And then mm-hmm. it got copied, but people didn't copy it as a parody or as something intelligent. They just copied the stupid out of it. Right. So, so everybody's like, ah, oh, yeah, Beavis and Butthead, it was that stupid show on MTV. But it wasn't. It was brilliant, you know. All it the, was yeah, brilliant. It was, but yeah, I can't wait. Me too. What else you got, Mike? Uh, that was pretty much it. That's uh, That's all for me this month. I'm gone. Bye. See y'all later. <laughs> I saw Thor. I saw Thor. I saw Thor bef- before you guys. Get Thor, you guys. <laughs> You're Thor. How do you think I feel? <laughs> no, don't be Thor. But yeah, um, I want to. I, I want to wait till maybe you guys have seen the show, and then we'll do a like full review of it. But all, all I'll say is it was really good. Um, yeah, the, the, the um. Now I can't. Now I can't think of the director's name off the top of my head. Fred um, Peterson. Jack Slater. Um, anyway, so Shakespeare, got, Shakespearean right? guy. He's Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, and uh, he do, does a great job. Oh man, Basically, I love it, him. It sticks. The story is is completely centered around characters and story. So there, uh, so any big set piece battles and stuff like that are all have something integral and important to do with the story. So, and all the characters are good. It's, it's, they sort of followed the Iron Man pattern of having good characters and a good story and keep it moving. And, you know, by the end you, you want more and you like Thor. Thor is very likable in it. And, uh, there's a lot of humor in it and yeah, but, um, yeah, we get into it more in depth after you guys get up off your asses and see it. 
I've I've really 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 been trying to avoid uh, spoilers with this, and, and I really don't want you to give away like anything story related or anything. But I I do have two questions um, okay. related to it. Is for one, um, how are the Warriors three in it? Because I'm I'm really anxious to see, especially Volstag, because I always had a, a soft spot for Volstag. They're great. They're great. Loki is is the standout like Asgardian though. Lo- but Loki's I mean, do they character. have anything to do though, or are they? Oh just no, they're they're the- all through. They're 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 they are they are pretty much all through the Asgard part of the story, and oh, they good. eventually end up on Earth too. Oh, all right, so cool. so yeah, they're they're oh they they figure prominently in the in the story, for right. sure. The other the other big question. This one's very important. Natalie Portman, naked? No. Is this? As a matter of fact, I noticed at the end of this movie. That if it wasn't for me, I don't know what I imagine it's rated PG, but it could almost be a G rated movie. I don't think there's a lick uh-uh. of swearing, I don't even think there's a hell or a damn, if I recall. I could she be wrong. She doesn't like walk into like a like a meat meat cooler with like a tight white t shirt on or anything like that. There's there's a she no, she's uh just sort of a scientist type. She's uh. she's cute in it, but you know, she's not she's you know, she's glasses? not making out with another girl like in Black Swan, if that's what you're asking. Does, does you, she ever wear glasses? I, I believe she might wear glasses. Oh, all right, all right, okay, that'll, yeah. that's enough. Yeah, that'll work. She's, Jane, she's Jane Foster, which I think is a neat concept. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the film, and it all has to do with Kenneth Branagh. I have liked every film I have seen him do, Shakespeare or otherwise. I think he's a brilliant actor. And he is an amazing director. And since Thor is the most Shakespearean right. of the Marvel heroes, it makes sense that you would tap a guy that knows how to do Shakespeare. I was watching an it interview. It never makes with him. sense that I would tap a guy. I just want to point that out right now. Continue. Um, <sighs> you said just take you loved the wind me. right out of everybody's um, sails, man. <laughs> But you said you loved me. Uh, the um... that was you, and that was supposed to be private. God damn it! <laughs> so, but he was so he was talking about in an interview. He's like, you know, somebody asked him how his Shakespearean background uh, affected him do, doing this film, and he's like, well, it's all about a royal house arguing with itself, so yep. it lends itself very well to Shakespeare. Yep. And he's very familiar with those with those kind of machinations, and and it shows, you know. So it's, you know, it's a little the 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 Asgard stuff, you know. It isn't complex, but it is it, it is a roiling drama of the gods, you know, where the stuff on Earth is more lighthearted and almost low budget, you know. That it's it's a pretty uh, um except for the CG a pretty low budget movie it doesn't have a lot of you know it has a, it has some CG set pieces but like on earth it's set in a little little tiny town and uh and it's got a, fucking destroyer in it oh yes. my god that looks so awesome yes, yes. <laughs> the, the destroyer's kind of neat because his skin is reminds me of those old twistoflex watches that's all i'm going to say there's a little <laughs> bit of twistoflex in there while I maintain that Captain America is the comic book film that I am looking forward to most this year, followed by Thor, followed by X-Men First Class, which looks 
more amazing than it has any right to be, really, as it is a secondary X film that you would expect to be released in like February or September. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Green Lantern, uh, Thor. I'm I'm really hoping that Rachel and I can get to see it because everything, every trailer I've seen, every ad I've seen, the fact that they're doing such a fantastic job of connecting these films. Like the Shield Agent from the two Iron Man films is in this, and that's yes. Great. Well, you get to see a lot more of him. You get to see a little. There's, you know, Shield plays a good chunk, a good role in this, so you get to see a little more. And I like that character. He's a really good. He's a very good actor, and his his character is really kind of funny, although he's more business, and he's he means business a little more in this one. But yeah, I was. I it, it's it's just good fun. It's just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Clean uh, fun. And I say again, DC, get off your fucking ass. (laughs) Pay attention to this. Get your shit together. (laughs) Pay attention to this because you're just walking off a cliff with your Superman movie. That's all I got to say. I can just see it just like. I hope not. I really don't. Because if Superman fails at the box office this time. Not that I'm going to get us on another 15 Superman tangents, uh, like like last month. Um, it will be that people will use that to say, "Oh, this is why Superman isn't relevant, why he doesn't mean anything, and why we shouldn't pay attention to him." And we won't get anything Superman for another 10 years. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else, Scott? Awkward silence. Yes, no, actually, I was just getting rolling. Um, <laughs> this is actually funny. My my wife went to the comic shop for me. Um, this was about a week ago because um, I, I was just I had a horrible schedule for a couple of days where I was working like crazy, crazy late. But I uh, I knew that uh, a certain comic that I was highly anticipating had come in at the comic shop. So she uh, goes up to the same town where my comic shop is when she goes grocery shopping now. So I was like, can you go by the, the comic shop? And he's like, oh, I don't want to go in the comic shop. I was like, please, 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 please. So she did. And, uh, and then she told me that <laughs> she told me that uh, <laughs> I thought this was funny because, you know, I, I honestly, I never thought she'd be caught dead in a comic shop without me, you know. But she said that, you know, she went in, it was, it was, you know, it was all right. The proprietor, you know, was very nice to her and all that. She said, but everybody that was in there did the typical, it's a girl, you know, when she went into the comic shop. So that, I thought that was pretty funny, but um, she and, got me and two. Your wife, and your wife's got that kind of naughty librarian thing going on too. So. <laughs> I was going to tell her you said that. <laughs> But one of the uh, one of the two comics that I got. She doesn't like me now, Scott. Why are you? Trying to <laughs> I Scott's got... just thinking up his naughty librarian scenario now. He's just <laughs> thinking up something already. Oh, I'm I'm so far ahead of you on the naughty librarian thing. <laughs> I got from Boom Studios, Boom Entertainment, Planet of the Apes. Number one, and God damn, was this good? I liked it. The uh, the story's by Daryl Gregory, and the art is by Carlos Magno. Now, I've not heard of either of these guys. It's a little early at this stage to tell exactly where the story's going to go. 
um, we basically got a uh, jump right into the story, kind of introduction to, to what I presume are going to be the main characters of the story. It was a little tough to tell so far who exactly you would consider a good guy, who exactly would consider a bad guy, exactly where things are going to go. But I'm intrigued. I was hooked right out of the gate. If for no other reason than, uh, wow, Magnos R is un real it's so gorgeous i mean it it's really really nice and uh it's funny you know while i was not and and am not a fan of like say like the uh those old like tales of the jedi you know old republic stories that that um dark horse does with star wars you know where they're set you know thousands and thousands of years before the time of luke skywalker and all that this one here starts right off and it says right in the beginning 12,000 years, or excuse me, 1,200 rather, 1,200 years before a man named Taylor fell from the stars. And that's the time that this is taking place in. I was still hooked. And uh, I, I would just recommend people, you know, if you're a fan of Planet of the Apes, you know, the original, because this is going with the original movie continuity, I would highly recommend picking up at least the first issue because uh, I enjoyed it. And I will come back with, uh, with status updates on where I think it's going and, and how I think the quality is. But uh, so far, big thumbs up. I was, uh, I was very happy with this. It was really cool. And for a change, I actually have a couple of uh, eBay purchases that I wanted to gloat about just a Ooh. little bit, which was uh, a couple of days ago. And, you know, I think Mike was the one that brought this up in, in one of our past episodes about, you know, how you buy something on eBay and you get it on the cheap and you're like, I, you know, I'm just happy to have this. I don't care what the condition is, you know, right. but then it arrives and you're like, wow, this is sweet. You know? Yeah, no, this doubt. Is, that's exactly what happened to me the other day. There were a couple issues of Tomb of Dracula. Oh, sweet. I, yeah, I found them on eBay. Um, I forget what they, what they were what the price was but i ended up winning both of them for just slightly more than a dollar free shipping so i mean altogether this is an investment of maybe like two dollars and thirty cents or something crazy like that issues 41 and 51 51 um actually has uh actually both of them now that i look at it say they have uh blade the vampire slayer inside of them which you know adds a little value to them but uh, just absolutely gorgeous. Um, Gene Colan and uh, Tom Palmer are in them. Oh. I can't wait to read this. I, I lack, I think, I, I did a count, and I, I want to say it was something like 19 issues to have the complete 70-issue run of the series. I can't wait to sit down and read it all. Our and, friend Garrett is one issue away. Oh, wow. And <laughs> unfortunately, it is number 10, which is the first appearance of Blade. Uh, so it's the one that's going to cost a little uh, money. That's going to hurt know, him. I, yeah. I need to look it up and see if I actually have that one or not, because I'm not sure. If, if I have oh. that one, then that will that will help a little bit, because the, the one that I know is going to be tough for me to, to track down and, and eventually acquire on the cheap is, of course, going to be number one. Because every time I've ever seen that book, it's been crazy-ass yeah, expensive. Yeah. I, I was looking I, – I ended up getting the omnibus, but I was looking to get back issues, and I'm like, oh, I can't afford this. But yeah. you reminded me. You, you pointed me – you probably even forgot about this. You pointed me in the direction of a Will Eisner's John Law detective. Yeah, did you one. buy that? I got it. I got it for 99 cents and no shipping. And I was like, well, that's an awesome price for that, you know, for a Will Eisner comic. And uh, 
It turns out I had eBay credit from my last purchase of a dollar two. <laughs> so I have three That's cents free. left over of credit. So I basically got it for free. Yeah. And wow. the poor sap had to spend a dollar ninety eight to mail it to me. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't mail it like a cheaper, you know, you know, like um, media mail or anything. He had like economy media mail is what he was shipping it. So, but um, um, yeah, I'm putting stuff on eBay. By the time this airs, it'll be airing right about the time the auction ends. So you can't bid on it. <laughs> I, I got a hundred Conan the Barbarians. Ooh. Starting from like issue 61 up into the hundreds. And then there's some King Conans in there too. King Gonads? I always want to call him I always want to call him Gonad the Barbarian or Toenail the Barbarian. And I don't know why. <laughs> Toenail the, Toenail the <laughs> Barbarian. Well, um, on, on, on the flip side, and I hope that this situation will remedy itself because I sent a strongly worded letter today, but it occurred to me that things that I had purchased before and things that I have purchased since have all arrived. All my eBay stuff has arrived except for one that I bought somewhere in between these uh, Tomb of Draculas and a, uh, and a Star Wars book that I also got for like 99 cents. I found I only need six issues to complete my run of Marvel team-up, the, the old Spider-Man team-up mm -hmm. one from back in the 70s. Six lousy issues. And I found one of them. It was number nine, Spider-Man and Iron Man on eBay for, let's say it was a buck or less. It was, it was definitely under a dollar because everything I've been getting these days has been like, you know, super ass cheap. So it was like a dollar with free shipping or something like that. But it occurred to me today that, hey, I never got that. So I sent a letter basically saying, fuck's my shit. So hopefully we'll be getting it soon. Last thing I wanted to talk about, and this is uh, so funny. You know, Mike mentioned the Destroyer is uh, something we'll talk about a little bit later in this episode. Inspired me to uh, want to go back and, and read some more stories with this particular character. So I, I got to thinking... One, you know, you, you, well, Mike was also talking about, you know, the 60s Marvel animated show. Probably my single favorite episode. Well, no, it would be my second favorite. My favorite one of that was, was, is still the one where, where Captain America fights the sleepers. It's goofy as hell, but I love that one. But my second favorite one is where Hercules comes to Earth and he and Thor tussle and just tear shit up. Now, I always thought that that was an adaptation of the very first appearance of, of Hercules in the comics. And it turned out I was wrong. So anyway, I knew I didn't have the actual issue of Hercules' first appearance, which was in Journey into Mystery Annual Number 1. But I did some digging around to see if I might have a reprint of it. Sure enough, I did. I have giant-sized Thor number one from 1975 i'd never read it it's been sitting in a, in a long box for all these years so i dug it out and not only does it have as the second story in the book that that a reprint of that story where uh where it was odd because it's not the story i was looking for it's not at all the story i thought it was going to be where, where hercules comes to earth this one is actually where thor and loki for some weird reason they're actually riding horses together like their pals or something i don't know if this is supposed to be a tale from their youth or what and they find this hole in the ground that these big storm giant guys are digging 
Thor accidentally falls down the rabbit hole, winds up in um, Olympus and just happens to stumble into Hercules and the two beat the shit out of each other until um, Zeus shows up and breaks up the fight. And that was pretty much it, but it was awesome. I loved it. But what was really cool is the first story that takes up well over half of the issue, it takes up something like 40 pages of the issue, was I'm pretty sure, I didn't look it up to make absolutely sure, but I'm pretty sure that this is the very first Destroyer story. And it was fucking awesome. It starts out and Odin is hosting what what's basically like the Asgardian version of the Olympics. You know, it's like, you know, here this is Valhalla where all the Viking warriors live and evidently they get really bored and, you know, there's no more worlds to conquer. So they hold these like Olympic style games to just beat the shit out of each other. So, you know, he sounds the horn and calls the great warriors from all over the realm, and they all gather in this big, like, Olympic-style arena, and they're all busy beating the crap out of each other when Loki projects his astral form into the Destroyer armor and resurrects the Destroyer, and the Destroyer comes and just, like, kicks ass of all these warriors that were already all gathered around. It was awesome. I loved it. You know, I, I've said before, I'm not the biggest Jack Kirby fan in the world, but God damn, this was great. Even the art was good. I mean, I really, really dug this. It it, it really uh, scratched that itch I've had lately for, for some good Thor stuff, you know, leading up to getting excited about the movie. So getting I highly Thor, recommend getting your Thor itch scratched. Yes. And then getting excited. <laughs> Too much information. I got my Thor itch scratched and my Thor ass kicked. So, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so I'm just Thor all over. And wouldn't your ass be Thor because it got kicked? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so you said me. you had uh, you had something else that you forgot to mention before. So back yeah, to my, you, Michael. My, my current obsession, um, and I get like this, like for a couple months I'll want nothing but to buy back issues of Spider-Man, or another month I'll want to buy nothing but back issues like Silver Age Superman stories. Uh, lately because of getting back into the Superman books. Uh, I have kind of rededicated myself to being a completist with my Superman collection, and it has gotten me into searching eBay for variant covers. Uh, Variant covers get a bad rap, mainly because in the 90s, publishers overdid it, we overbought them, so they overdid it even more. Um, I am a firm believer in the fact that everything that went wrong with comics in the 90s was everybody's fault. It wasn't just like the fans, it wasn't just the publishers, it wasn't the speculators. Everybody's Everybody had it. Yeah. yeah, everyone had it. Hey, a you're not pinning that, that shit on me, pal. Except <laughs> Scott. Except Scott. <laughs> um, but now, uh, Marvel and DC and other publishers, but since, you know, I mainly buy DC and Marvel books. They will have like a one to ten variant cover. Like for every ten issues you buy of a title, you get one of the variant covers. And there's one in twenty-five, and then there's fifty-fifty. And the idea is that the retailer will buy a bunch of copies of the comic, get the variant covers, and then jack up the price of the variant covers. And maybe if they're lucky, they could make like all the money off of all the other issues with that one copy because it's a rare cover. 
Uh, what I have found is you can find this crap cheap on eBay a couple years after they've come out because the the ro- the bloom is off the rose at that point and you just want to get rid of this stuff. My uh, Dave, the guy that owns the comic shop I go to, was telling me that if you go to like to the Chicago Con and San Diego and like the big cons, there are there are people there, dealers there that will have varying covers for like three bucks a piece, two bucks a piece. And it's stuff that's selling like $20 elsewhere. So I've been getting a bunch of Superman-related variant covers, and I've gotten some really good deals, and I'm just really happy to have them. They make me happy. I've got, like, the new Krypton storyline. I have all the variants for that now, so I can read it, you know, either in the variant cover version or the regular cover version. And uh, this really tripped in my head that as much as I am a reader of comics as much as I really like reading the stories and getting into the characters and the storylines, I'm also a collector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, and variant covers scratch that itch Push very that nicely. Button, yeah. Because yeah. it's not just knowing everything, it's having it all as well. And I'm just trying to put together the most... I want to create a Superman collection that's a pedigree, basically. This is the Bailey collection, so... It's a silly, silly thing to want to do, but eh, I'm a silly man. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, you say that you say that now, but you know, you're 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 a young man, but you know, like you're you're middle aged, so you know when when you die an old man and they auction off everything, you know, you you might be seeing somewhere like the Bailey collection has come onto the market, you know, <laughs> especially, you know, 40 years, 50 years down the line, hopefully, you know, something like that, that stuff will be uh, even more valuable unless it's like, unless it's only good for like starting fires because we live in Mad Max land or something like that. I know? like that idea a whole lot better than the one that, that literally will rouse me out of a sound sleep covered in sweat, which is my wife calling up, you know, the rag man and saying, come get this fucking shit. He finally kicked the bucket, you know? That that one terrifies me. And that's no, when no, no. Chris and I up the truck as the rag men. <laughs> <laughs> your, your kids will beat her to it. Your kids by that time, by that point, your kids will be your kids. But by the time you're on your deathbed, you're gonna have Scotty and Logan hovering over you, going just like, "Where's the comic collection going, Pop? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Pop. I love you so much. Did I tell you that? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's only a cold. <laughs> if you don't shut up, I'm just gonna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you don't shut up, I'll leave you all the Spidey Scoopin stories. How'd you like that? <laughs> you guys are way too hard on that series. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> what do you got, Mr. Honeywell? Well, my last thing is uh, it's comic book related. It should be a comic book. but um, And I'll probably do a more in-depth review of this movie, but I saw the movie Super. And it came out in 2010. I don't know what the deal is with it. I don't know if it's coming out on DVD or if it's... I, I torrented it. Ha <laughs> ha. But uh, I heard it was in the theaters for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and I don't care who and knows. I don't care. I love it. I did it and I smiled while I did it. And I smi- This is a great movie. Very intense. It reminds me of a a a more realistic and well thought out and deeper characterized version of Kick-Ass. It's like Kick-Ass 
mixed with um, Taxi Driver, little Shakes the Clown thrown in there just for good measure, and even a scene that would make like David Lynch like sit up and take notice. It's very it's a very strange movie. It changes gears many many times. But I love it because it's about a super it's you know it starts out with the premise of the conversation Scott and I used to have all the time like why hasn't anybody ever made up a costume and been a costume vigilante and and that's and that's what happens in this. This is the way you do it. This is this is a way you take the comic book ideas and t- put a dark theme to them, you know, or a realistic theme. Create a character out of whole cloth that can have echoes of Batman or in it. Batman's mentioned in it. You know, they talk about him in the comic shop because he's looking for, he's doing research to become a hero. So he's looking for comics of superheroes who don't have powers. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, I just I I can't recommend it enough. I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to ruin the experience of watching it. But it's it's but um with the warning that it's it's intense. It, it it's it it's funny, but it can be pretty awkward and violent at the same time. But that's about all all I got. You know. Do either of you guys remember a movie that starred the blonde-headed guy from the uh, Trinity movies. It was called Super Fuzz. Yes. Yes. With Ernest Borgnine. He's a super trooper, really super trooper. Was Ernest Borgnine was in that movie? I think he was. Every time he saw Red, he lost his power. Yeah. Oh, I got to find that sometime. I got to find that and I got to find... a crap movie, sir. (laughs) I remember loving it when I was a kid, though. I'm sure it is, though. Because I, I liked the uh, I liked the Trinity movies too, and I watched those a couple years ago, and I was like, these, except for one or two scenes, these movies kind of suck. But uh, <laughs> I'd like to see that again, and I'd like to see. I still want to track down a copy of uh, Hero at Large with uh, John Ritter. I like that. Oh, Captain Avenger! Yeah, that's yeah. a great movie. And I was yeah. at Metropolis back in 2008. You can go to my Facebook page and see this picture. There was a guy dressed as Captain Avenger. Yeah. Well, walked up to him and I said, I'm probably one of five people that know who you're dressed as. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that movie because, like, if you take that movie and compare it to Greatest American Hero... It's very similar. Right, right, right. But the hero at large was more realistic and, like, you know, better made than the TV show. And that's sort of what, like, Kick-Ass and Super are like. You know, Kick-Ass is like the kind of glitzy version of it where super is the more see I, I'd kind of argue that because some of the episodes of the greatest American hero were brilliant and... oh yeah but it was a different uh, feel than you know yeah. like you know I mean there was that scene Jonathan Ritter gets shot in the leg and goes limping you know limping back to his apartment at one you know in fear and pain you know it, 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 yeah. it cover, it's just a little more realistic than, than, you know, Greatest American Hero had that 70s, you know, hey, I'm going to save this car from falling off the green screen. No, well, that, that, that's the funny thing about it is that when William Catt started that show, he looked at Stephen J. Cannell, who created it, and said, you know, I'll do this, but I don't want to be in the sewer fighting the monster. And when Stephen J. Cannell was kind of taken off the series... And it was given to other two other producers. In the third season, he was in the sewer 
fighting, fighting monster. monster. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so, but the, the the genius of that show is one, uh, William Cat was a great actor, but two, you could not have done that show without um, Robert Culp as Bill Maxwell. Well, he's just a, one of those awesome classic character actors, tough guy character actors, you know, manly men. He's really, I think, what Scott wants to be. <laughs> what I want to be. Wasn't he the, the, the visual model for that. the older Bruce Wayne in Kingdom Come? I think he might have. No, that was Gregory Peck. Are you sure? Because I, I look at I look at Bruce Wayne, you know, the the one that was in like the exoskeleton or something yeah. like that. No, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Gregory Peck. I'm not sure. Oh, though. okay. I thought it looked like Robert Culp. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I, I, I need to go back and give that show a, a look again because I really have only like vague childhood memories of, of that show. The, um... Catchy the theme f- song, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no damn down. No, the, the the first season is a little clunky. They really hit their stride in the second season. Uh, some of the episodes are very like two, like the characters can be a little two dimensional. But there's some episodes like in the first season. There's an episode where Bill Maxwell's character has to go after his. Um, the sergeant that he served under in the military that he looks up looks up to more than anybody but he's turned out to be a crooked cop who wants bill to be involved in whatever shenanigans he's up to at the same time ralph is having second thoughts about being a hero and he starts talking to his childhood hero which is one of the guys that played the lone ranger who's making an appearance at a local mall so from a writing standpoint there's a this whole, you know, how we look up to people and, and how they can turn out to be, you know, you know, have feet of clay and all that. Really great episode. Was One it of my Clayton favorites. Moore? I don't know if it was Clayton Moore or the other guy. Huh. I think it was the other guy. The ton- You mean Tonto or the other no, actor there was that played? Lone Rangers. Ah, okay. Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> well, before we go to break, have we got time to get into... All right, and I, I, I need to solicit um, suggestions from the listeners at this point. You guys chime in, just like back in the old, old days where you could uh, write into the comics companies and tell them what you uh, what you thought the name of the letter column could be. I'm going to solicit names for this segment because I really don't like the name Top 5. I, 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 it's I detest not the most the name. original. Um, yeah. It's yeah, not it's at all. Utilitarian. But, yeah, well, it's it's working in a pinch, but I want, I want suggestions. I want something better. But for now, we're just going to call it Top 5. So subject for this time, I, I think this was Mike's idea, and I really like this one, although I struggled with it a bit. Me top too. 5. Marvel Comics limited series from the 1980s. And uh, Mike, this was your idea, so you go ahead and uh, what are your top five? Okay, number five. Um, I struggled with this too because I realized how many of these I haven't read yet <laughs> and that I need to. Uh, but I'll go number five Secret Wars, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, which was a 12 issue limited series. Mm-hmm. Uh, still prefer Crisis on Infinite Earths, but. There is something kind of awesome about this story. I 
I, I think the artwork's a little wonky, but there are some great moments like the Hulk holding up the mountain while all the other heroes are trapped underneath him, basically. And Reed Richards is just picking at him and getting him more and more angry so that he'll get stronger. And then at the end, you know, Bruce is like, I know what you did there. It's really great series. Number four, I will have to say, is Wolverine and Kitty Pride. Uh, it's a really interesting series, mainly because most of it involves Kitty kind of growing up and realizing the world isn't as perfect as she uh, thinks it is. It's also the series where Kitty became the badass martial artist that she would evolve into. And in the middle of it, she stabs Wolverine through the heart with a katana. Oops. <laughs> Number three, and this is a late one in the 80s because it came out in 89, but it's still the 80s. The second Damage Control limited series. I mentioned a little bit of this in, in like two months ago with the guy with the Punisher break into the dude's apartment and him telling his origin and the right, guy about his dog. It's just full of stuff like that. At the end, uh, Damage Control gets a new new building to serve as their headquarters. And the old headquarters had a big DC on it. So one of the guys says, we sold it to a comic company uptown because they've had a big film out this summer. And since it was 89, that was when Batman came out. And any, any series where a guy goes up to Thor after he was holding up a bridge so that they could repair it and gives him Ben Gay because he knows he's <laughs> sore is awesome in my book. You mean Thor? <laughs> Thor. Yeah, Thor. Number two, the first Wolverine limited series. This is a straight-up Japanese-inspired martial arts film done as a Wolverine comic. Uh, my favorite moment and the one that always makes me laugh out of this series is Wolverine go tracks down Mariko, who uh, has not been returning his phone calls, basically. And he finds out she's gotten married. And he he finds her, and she he finds out that the guy that married her has been beating her. And the dude shows up. is like, why are you not in your place? Do I have to beat you more? And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to end well for this guy, yeah. But Mariko, he, he, he lifts the dude up with one hand and pops out the claws with the other. And you know he's about to freaking gut this dude. But Mariko calls him off. But I'm like, of all the dumb things to do, <laughs> this guy's a killer. If the comic would have come out five to ten years later, that guy would have been beheaded in a second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my number one all-time favorite Marvel limited series from the '80s, the five-issue Punisher limited series. Oh. By wow. first four issues by Stephen Grant and Mike Zeck, last issue by Joe Duffy, and I forget who did the art. But the first issue of this is what needs to be the it was first. Was Mike act. Zeck, wasn't it? Yeah, Mike Zeck did the art in the first four issues. Um, but he didn't do the last issue because he was running. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, but the first issue of this with the Punisher in jail has to be the first act of the next Punisher film. Because it is just awesome. And the Mike Zeck art. I first read it in a black and white reprint in a magazine, the Punisher magazine from the late 80s. And I'm going to tell you something about Mike Zeck's art. It always looks better in black and white always just about everything he's ever done looks great in black and white and so does this series but uh, I love the Punisher limited series it, it's really what 
cemented his popularity in the 80s right you know and it that thing was if everything i've read about it is that it was freaking huge like it came out and immediately sold out marvel really wasn't prepared for how popular this thing was so uh that's my five cool now i was so afraid that that this segment was going to be full of you know with letting you run first was going to be full of me going oh you bastard and stealing stuff off my list but actually we had absolutely no crossover that's really that's that's really strange well maybe you and i'll have some crossover scott all right do you want to go next or you want me to go next um i'll go next Okay. It was easy for me for some reason. I even came up with a runner-up. So my number five is Rocket Raccoon. (laughs) Awesome. Mike Mignola. As a big Beatles fan, there was lots of really cheesy Beatles puns in it and fun, funny animal art, but with a kind of nasty edge to it. So I like that. Um, Number four, Longshot, which, you know, I mean... He became sort of trite, but that was like when Longshot came out, I was like, this is a bizarre, you know, comic to be coming out on the newsstand. It was dark and weird, and I liked, and, the, and you know, the art style was different. Um, number three, Contest of Champions. Oh, you when, m- that I was knew we would have that. One. I knew we would have that in common. <laughs> I knew we would have at least one. And yep. that one... I preferred that even more towards to the 12 issue, you know, all battle one because this one was just plain like put them in a boxing ring. Beat it was like destroy all monsters, you know. Yep. It was it was it was um the art wasn't as good as as um now now I'm dumbing out on the on the one you mentioned, Mike. What's the what was the name of that one? Secret Wars. Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah. the art was much better I thought in Secret Wars. But it, this worked as just sort of a campy, cartoony beat 'em up, you know. And the thing mm-hmm. takes up a, a pounding in this one. Just that he does a, you know, Rocky, you know, an Adrian at the end where he's just beat to a pulp. I think you're confusing that the ending of that book with uh, there was a Marvel. Help me out here, Mike. Was it two and one that was the Hulk, the the thing team up? Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Where the where the champion comes to Earth and challenges right. all the heroes in the boxing ring. I think that's the ending you're thinking of. Right. Yeah. Um, number two, Hercules by Bob Layton. <laughs> Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. You're by taking Bob, my whole list. That first Bob Layton is awesome. And you know the second Hercules, I'll just I'll just count that along with the first Hercules, and number one is where I cross streams with with Michael, and that's Wolverine, which blew my mind when that first came out. You know I was just starting. I had um, that guy Mark McDonald was just starting to show me that you know bring me his copies of the the Frank Miller Daredevils which had all the ninjas and stuff in it. And then this came out, which was all out ninja-thon. And I just <laughs> loved it. And, uh, yeah, and I even had a runner-up, which was the Vision and Scarlet Witch. Which one? Series. Yeah, the first one. Okay. And I, I just remember, because I was like, I always buy number ones. And then I was like, I'm going to buy all these. I, I actually enjoyed it. It was kind of a soap opera, actually. But... I remember thinking this is pretty good, but that's my 
That's my top five. So I, I... Now we all know what two of Scott's are. <laughs> are you kidding? You got four out of five of mine. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, well, really? I'm going to preface. I'm going to preface mine by saying that uh, uh, three of these I have not read in probably 20 years or better. So just keep that in mind. But yeah, uh, well, same here. Yeah, with most yeah, of these. Going, uh, going from number five to number one. My number five was Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Now, the only issue I can remember that, and I would imagine probably the only issue most people can remember, is the final issue the with the big one. reveal about Magneto. But that was a big bomb drop at that time, and it's always stood out in my memory. I really like. I love the art. I love the story. It's just a classic. So yeah, definitely Vision and Scarlet Witch. Wow. Um, number four is one that I actually read. For the first time not too long ago, I read it for an episode of uh, the Avengers Assemble podcast uh, by uh, Will Sanchez, and I really hope he picks that show back up. But it was the four-issue West Coast Avengers miniseries that eventually, you know, uh, jump-started the the ongoing series. But that was really good. I enjoyed it because it was exactly... When I think back fondly on the 80s, it was exactly the kind of comics I look back at, you know, where it was just a bunch of superheroes, you know, kicking ass and having a lot of fun. And it was just a fun read. You know, it wasn't too heavy. It wasn't too light. It was somewhere right in the middle. You know, it it had some goofy concepts. You know, it had a lot of moments where if you thought too hard about it, you know, the, the logic of the story might break down. But it was just fun. And I really got a kick out of that. Number three, I suspect if I dug this book out, it hasn't held up well. But at the time it came out, I completely agree with Chris. It, it was it felt like it was a game changer. Whether it really was looking back on it now, I don't know. But at the time, I was I was in love with this book, which was long shot. It was just a big friggin' deal when it came out. It was, there hadn't ever any, been anything like it. The art was gorgeous. The story was freaking bizarre but it was bizarre in that likable way not bizarre in that grant morrison i don't know what the fuck they're getting at kind of way you know and i really enjoyed it you know and and it's a shame that that character has been you know the potential of that character in my opinion has been squandered all these years it's really a shame because i thought long shot was cool as hell um number two the first Hercules miniseries by Bob Layton. I just reread this, and man, is it good. It holds up. It is so freaking good. And uh, I read the first, I think just the first issue of the second series, and right out of the gate, it's just not quite as good. I don't think the second series has held up as well. I'll, I'll, I'll have a better judgment. The second judgment. series ends strong. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm anxious to finish it, but I just didn't get time before this episode to read both of the minis. But uh, I definitely reread the first one. And I was like, man, this is still a damn good comic book. It, it was just fun. Beautiful art, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob Layton, I've always been a fan of his. But, yeah, he really pulled out the stops on that. And I like it because it's it's fun. It's light. It's kind of silly. But at the same rate, Hercules maintains, you know, his heroic demeanor. And, and it really it had me itching to go read some more Hercules, which is why I went and dug out that uh, that Thor story. Um, and then number one. And, and again, this is a story I haven't read in probably 20 years, so I'm not sure how it holds up. But it had to be my number one for sentimental reasons, if nothing else, which was Marvel Superheroes Contest of Champions. I mean, it, it, it was the very first 
Marvel uh, miniseries, you know, limited series. It was only three issues. And if I remember right, there's a, again, I need to go back and read this, but there's a legend that's built up around this thing that I don't know if it's really true or not, where they actually screwed up the scorekeeping in it. And it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to come out where it's like a dead heat or something like that. But if you actually keep the score yourself, you find out that they, they, got something wrong in the story or something Whoops. like that. I don't know. I need to look, <laughs> yeah. look at it again, but I liked it because this book came out like right when you and I were starting to buy comics off the rack at, at the cigar shop in Carthage, and I remember not really knowing a whole lot about Marvel beyond, you know, the obvious, you know, beyond Spider-Man and Cap and the Hulk. I think those are probably the only guys I really knew. Suddenly, here was a three-issue miniseries that had everybody in it. I mean, everybody who was anybody and a lot of people that I was excited to meet for the first time, like Shamrock and people like that, that I don't think ever fucking appeared again. Right. Yeah. I, at least I don't. You know, I mean, there was the, the Chinese dude who was like the what was he called? Like the collected man or something like that. Oh, where that's he, right. Like, he was cool. He was cool as hell. I don't think I ever saw that guy again. So, you know, it was just a lot of fun because it was like it was to me, it was the closest thing Marvel ever had to like Crisis on Infinite Earths because everybody was in it. I mean, every fucking buddy was in that book. And it was just fun. It was you had these weird, wacky teams that were all broken up. And I can't it's remember sort of any... like a reality show these yeah. days. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember any of the teams specifically now. So don't quote me on this, but it could be something really weird. Like you'd have like the invisible woman power man and then some dude from Australia or something that you've yep. never heard of before or would ever see again. And so you had these really bizarre, unbalanced teams and then. I know for a fact that the first time I ever laid eyes on Sasquatch, the Marvel character Sasquatch, was in that. And it was a panel where he was like swinging like a monkey through trees or something. And I was like, oh, this character's cool as hell. And he was the entire reason why I picked up Alpha Flight when Alpha Flight premiered because I remembered him from this book. So it was just a, it was a big deal for me when it came out. It, it really was my gateway into a lot of the characters of the Marvel Universe because I got a peek at them in this book and I, you know, right off the bat, it was, it was almost like a who's who of everybody that was in Marvel. So you could look at it and go, okay, I want to know more about this guy or this guy's lame and you know, stuff like that. So yeah, that book had a big, big, big influence on me. And, uh, damn, I really got to dig that out and reread it. It's been far too long since I've looked at that book, but that's my top five. I had a couple quick honorable mentions. Um, again, speaking of uh, Will Sanchez's uh, Avengers Assemble podcast, not long ago we covered the uh, the very first Hawkeye four issue miniseries. That was a lot of fun. Didn't make my list, but it was a lot of fun, and uh, it, it's definitely worth a look. The art is solid. The story's just weird and wacky as hell. And then one that I really wish I could have put on my list, but I don't think I own all four issues. And if I ever read it, I don't remember reading it. But the art was just, oh, it was awesome, which was the Jack of Hearts four-issue mini. The art, I remember the covers on that were just beautiful. But I can't remember if I have ever actually read the damn thing or not. So. That. Yeah, I don't, I have no recollection <laughs> of that at all. Now that's where they finally gave his full origin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I need to, I need to dig that out and read it or reread it or 
finish it or whatever. I, I think I lack an issue or something like that, but anybody have any suggestions for next time? I, I have an idea, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we want to run with this or if anybody might have a, a better idea. How about... Oh. <laughs> no, I, I, I was going to say, like, we could we could play like the dating game and make five pairs of superheroes and superheroines couples that you would put together to make a superhero child with their combined powers which would have the which would have the best superhero offspring i like that like we'll, that'll be it we'll create five superhero offsprings in our test tube where you have to take you you know i mean I mean, sorry for, you know, the LGBT community, but you're going to have to take a male superhero and a female <laughs> superhero and because, and, uh, you know, we're procreating them, even if it's a test tube. But, we, like you know, maybe idea. we can do a gene splicing one where we can splice any two superheroes together. But for the, for the purposes of this, we want a bouncing little baby whatever the hell it's going to be. <laughs> and, you know, it could, be, it could be ones that would be really cool. It could be ones that you just are doing out of sheer sense of sadism you know or or cruel humor or, or whatever what do you say mike sounds good to me i like this better than my my idea was going to be favorite one shots but i can see that being a nightmare of research so i yeah. like this idea much better and i see great humor potential in this idea yeah, as well so yes <laughs> yes i do all right, so I say we take a little break and then we'll come back with uh, something else. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> hey, everybody, this is Scotty Gardner recording this episode's edition of The Comic Bag. For free comic book day, I stopped into a place in Winter Park, Florida, called A Comic Shop, capital A, capital C, capital S. I was invited with a few of my friends to come for a special event going on where the shop owners were not only hosting free comic book day, but they had a Star Wars marathon going on with episodes 4 through 6, including the Star Wars holiday special playing. I came in, and the comic book selection of the place was very well kept. The comics were in order, and the overall hygiene of the shop was nice. The employees were friendly and weren't afraid to be sociable with you. The comics were neat, organized, and easy to find. I managed to pick myself up a copy of the Halo Uprising graphic novel for a nice $6.30. With the free comic book day discount they had going, or else it would have been 20 something dollars they had a bunch of stuff from superhero comics to a few undergrounds going on. Aside from comics, though, they really didn't have a lot of merchandise out other than t-shirts and art hanging on the walls, which was god-awful expensive. Going from the comic section, though, if you went into the restroom of the building, the walls in there were reserved for drawings made by famous comic book artists they had stopped by the shop and it was covered in drawings of power girl superman spider-man all the famous ones the comic book artists had stopped by the shop at some point 
to do a few signings, and they had him draw different characters all over the walls that they still have up in there with signed names and messages from those comic book artists. If you went from the comic section to the back area of the shop, there was a great section with an area for eating, along with TVs set up for movies and video gaming across the front wall. And there was art across the walls that you could buy, including a huge Super Mario painting on the side wall. It wasn't for you to buy, but man, did it look awesome, because this thing was a painting of level one of Super Mario Bros. that they had painted up onto the wall for everyone to see. All in all, this place was good to shop at and a great place to hang out, especially if you're a video gamer, and especially if you just want to hang around and talk comics with your friends. I wore my Choo Choo Freak shirt when I went into the place for free comic book day. Didn't get any comments on it, didn't have anyone asking me what the show was, but maybe someone out there listening right now was around a comic shop on Free Comic Book Day. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium? Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. Somewhere in the heart of this city, in a small shop closing for the night, a robbery is in progress, but help is on the way. Mind if I drop in? John Ritter is Steve Nichols. How about that? Hero at large. Who are you, J. Edgar Hoover? I'm Captain Avenger. Such a nice boy. He can't fly. Tomorrow I'm leaping over a tall building at a single bound. Wrong guy. I'm expanding. He can't bend steel. I'm in big trouble. Fighting crime is a dirty business. But when there's danger, he can't turn away. You're a crazy man. Dresses up in a comic book suit and goes around doing good deeds. Hold it right there. Don't make another move. If they're going to use real bullets, I think I'll retire. He's loved by women. I'm not always this easy. I bet you say that to all the girls. Cheered by men. They want their superhero and all he stands for to hold on to. And worshipped by children. Captain Avenger. Yes, sir. Let's see you fly. A hero's work is never done. He's nutty, but noble. I'm counting to three, Milo. Who the hell is that? This is Robert Redford. He's dizzy, but dedicated. People putting themselves on the line for other people. That's what being a hero is. But he's really just an actor who got carried away with a role. It's just like any other part. You gotta really get into it. Captain Avenger. I took a third-rate movie, made it the biggest hit of the year with a simple gimmick. Captain Avenger comes to your neighborhood. Authorities are still wondering who the man in the red, blue, and yellow costume with a large A on his chest really is. 
It's me, Steve Nichols. All he knows about heroes is that people need one. Uh, yeah, I heard it a couple of times. All he could do was make himself hero at large. Well, I think it's really terrific. John Ritter, Ann Archer, Bert Convey, and Kevin McCarthy. Hero at large. At last, help is on the way. Rondo the Thirst Mutilator. It's like riding a dinosaur attached to a rocket ship. It's made with 100% concentrated rage. You can tell when you open the can because it's extremely loud, and by loud I mean tasty. It tastes like a locomotive full of screaming babies crashing into an aircraft carrier, and the aircraft carrier is on fire. Which sounds really exciting because fire is very exciting, but it's not more exciting than Brondo because Brondo is more exciting than a fist fight with a grizzly bear. I do not think I will be handling paper comics for the remainder of this issue sewed, so I am rewarding myself with chips and queso. Yay! I have chips and Santa Fe salsa right now. Queso! I like I have queso. Real mix. I think queso, if it's not already, it ought to be in the redneck dictionary. I, 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 queso? Yeah. Queso, I'm driving on I 4 and this crazy yeah, son right. of a bitch pulls right out in front of me. Like Mama Nims? Mama Nims. <laughs> Mom and M's down at the bus station. Gotta go pick him up. You gotta watch out in the bathroom. <laughs> Alright, so what the hell are we... Oh, I know what we're doing. It is time for my favorite segment of the show. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Come. Oh, shit. Well, hey, let me put away my chips and salsa and jump right on this. <laughs> This just became the crunchiest podcast on the internet. It's a crunchy podcast, dude. <laughs> I like my trail mix. For every dollar you donate to Two True Freaks, got um, we'll hug a tree. <laughs> got yogurt-covered raisins. Love those. Mm. I had this, like, tofu-covered yogurt-covered Reagan- raisins. Reagan? Reagan's? I had this tofu-covered Reagan. <laughs> they, they, like, dried him out like, um... Tear down this Beef jerky. <laughs> he was kind of... Uh, you could anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet he would have been the gamiest president to eat. No, I think that would be Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Jimmy? No, Jimmy Carter probably had a tinge of peanut to him. He probably was pre- he'd probably be pretty tasty of all the presidents. If I was going to eat a president, it'd definitely be Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Bill Clinton would taste like him. Monica Lewinsky. I don't know, though. <laughs> Bill Clinton's got that layer of fat on him, though. He'd roast up on the spit like, mm, oh, boy, he'd just sizzle up in his own juices. And if we ate George so Bush, I don't know. the second George Bush, at the end we'd have to yell out, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. See, political humor that even Scott finds funny. <laughs> well, when you mix cannibalism with, in, with anything, <laughs> Scott's amused, you know? <laughs> you just have to know what flavors to throw into. <laughs> hey, I meant to tell you, Chris, that uh, all those many, many, many years of staring at the uh, Heimlich poster at Eat It and Beat It finally paid off recently as I literally saved my wife's life recently. Did you have really? to Heimlich? I did. I, 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 I <laughs> What was it? A piece of steak or yes, something? Yes, I did have to Heimlich her. Yes, I, I. What was? 
<laughs> that <laughs> sounds. I don't know if it's that, not the I, yeah, that's really a bad phrase. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry I phrased it that way, man. It makes a beautiful <laughs> life-saving experience sound like a horrible sexual perversion. You're good at that. Perversion. Wouldn't have anything to do with Heim anything. I, Scott's a low-down, dirty, Heimlich, dirty Heimlicker. <laughs> I think that's your superpower, to take sweet and charming things and turn them absolutely disgusting. Turn them into horrible For monsters. Virgins, yes. But no, she was, uh, I was sitting in here doing something on the computer. I actually I even had my headphones on. I was listening to something. And in the next room, it sounded like a dog trying to hack up a bone or something. I'm like, what the fuck is going on out there? So I walked out and she's like fucking purple. I'm like, are you choking? And she's like looking at me like, no, I just like turned purple, you know? <laughs> I'm singing along with my favorite song, dumbass. Right. So, you know, I'm, it's I'm, called The Choke. Right. So, you know, at first I try the typical, you know, whack him on the back type of thing. And then I realized, shit, you know, she's like in serious fucking distress here. So I was like, you know, I can give you the Heimlich, you know, you, you know, and she's like nodding, like, you know, do something. So do it yeah. now. So I had to do it a couple of times. But yeah, damned if the thing didn't work. I was just afraid because, you know, the last thing I wanted to do, you know, on top of her choking was like bust ribs or something. You know? Busted ribs, alive with busted ribs. Yeah, true. Is way better than dead, man. You know, a busted rib will get better. Man, I'll tell you what. That's so, awful. Yeah. I mean, that's cool that you did that, but that's. That... Yeah. Man, that what was scared it, a piece the of shit steak? out of was me. Was it a piece of meat? It was um, what's she, a bread. She said it was a piece of bread. Yeah, I got well. Yeah, bread because bread's soft and it will just form to you know it'll like a cork. Yeah, I I I I had my dad had to Heimlich me when I was a kid and I've been traumatized ever since. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I had to jump on that before you guys got to it. But yeah, I, I got a. I was eating a piece of steak at the table, and it was the same thing. Everybody was just sort of like, "What the hell's he doing, fucking goofball?" And then, and then my dad did the pat on the back. Then he did like literally like the finger poke in the stomach. He like poked me in the stomach like a with ninja? a finger. Uh, no, like somebody going like 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 I was the Pillsbury fucking doughboy. <laughs> actually, it was instead of going, like, <laughs> you went. And yeah, and finally he just did did the did the actual Heimlich, and he's like, I'm not sure if I have it right, but he did because it went patoing right out, right out. Well, my, I would have hate hated to be the guy, the first couple people that Heimlich was trying <laughs> that out on. That just yeah, I know the prototypes. Well, first it was like, okay, well, we're going to start putting increasingly big pieces, bigger pieces of broccoli down your throat till you choke, you know? It took Edison to invent the light bulb. I can just see there being a cemetery full of, like, you know, the first, like, 995 attempts at the Heimlich maneuver, you know? Yeah. No, I'd be scared if that happened to my wife because no matter what, I'd break her ribs just because of her bone disorder. Right, yeah. But as Chris said, alive with broken ribs. <laughs> yeah, is 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 alive, <laughs> you know. My uncle that actually owned that restaurant, he, uh, well, my grandfather, you know, he's he's sadly he's deceased now. But my grandpa Gardner, he had a great weakness for um, both peanut brittle and um, those damn Burn chocolate the Christmas tree out. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> Ch- chocolate-covered cherries. He yeah, my eating, dad liked yeah, those too. He was eating chocolate-covered cherries once, and a piece of the cherry skin got wedged in there some way wrong. 
and he ran out on, you know, I mean, he started choking. He ended up running out onto the the front rail of their place and, like, turning fucking blue and purple and pink and polka dotted and everything else. And my grandmother was stone cold deaf. So she has to call my uncle, you know, which is the first person she could think of. And, you know, get down here quick. Your dad's choking to death. You know, and thank God, you know, he, he just happened to be home, just happened to be near the phone. You know, and and race, you know, just happened to live just up the up the hill from them. Race down there and running, ju- distance, yeah, yeah, just in time to save my grandfather. You know, he did the did the Heimlich maneuver, and it was like, it's still yeah. a it was still a good jog, though. I'm sure that was quite a stressful jog. Oh, I you think know. He, there's I a think long enough time for him truck. to think about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think if he'd actually tried to run down, he wouldn't have been in time. I'm sure he had to jump in some form of vehicle, but. And my grandmother literally like dialed blind or, you know, dialed deaf, I guess you'd say, because, you know, she couldn't huh? hear if anybody actually what? picked up the phone, you know. She just dialed and hoped for the best, you know, just started as soon as, you know, she figured she had somebody on the other end, just started screaming, you know, your dad's joking to death, get down here, you know. So gave him a, gave him a good, what, probably 10 or better years, you know. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, to harass your dad on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> to kick the dogs. <laughs> the dog's like, God damn it. <laughs> dogs buying him chocolate covered cherries. <laughs> well, they say the Ashles were doing that after Bush um, almost choked to death on a pretzel that people were sending. Yeah, there, yeah, there were people sending him pretzels. That's rude. Cruel. <laughs> cruel. Yes, it is cruel. Cruel and unusual. Anyway, my assignment. Uh-oh. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 This month, my make Chris read a superhero assignment was the Hercules miniseries from 2005. The story starts off with Hercules being a drunk idiot in trashing bars and Avengers funerals. He gets beat up in a men's room by a bull guy who takes him to meet his old enemy, uh, urinalysis or something. In order to make Hercules less <laughs> pathetic, he has set up a new bunch of tasks like the 12 legendary challenges Hercules busted up centuries ago. Hercules agrees and they make it into a reality show, which is cool because Hercules reminds me of the situation or Dog the Bounty Hunter. The tasks are easy at first. He steals (laughs) (laughs) He steals Kazar's kitty and he sucks up red skull gas like he's sniffing a fart on jackass. He whoops the mole man and his monsters and kicks the abomination's butt and then neuters the watchdog and even sucker punches Captain America and takes his shield. Apparently these tasks are too easy and Herc's stepmom steps up with some harder challenges. So far, the comic has been real funny and Hercules has been fun, but his last task is that he has to go to Hades and get forgiveness from his wife and kids. Why does he need forgiveness? Was he a bad father? It turns out that the answer to that is yes, because one day Hercules got too drunk and murdered his wife and family like that wrestler Chris Benoit who was on steroids. So much for comedy relief. Who was, by the way, about ten minutes from my house. Nice. (laughs) It turns out that Hercules' family are really good sports about it all, and they forgive him right away. 
And that was nice of them because now Hercules wins his reality show. The end. Moral. <laughs> if you are a drunk, steroided out idiot, you can make money on TV. <laughs> I'm not sure that was the moral of the story, but good job. That's what I got out of it. I love this. It was a riot. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear you say it. You, you enjoyed it, it was, then? Uh, yes. At the beginning, there was a, you know, like a little bit of the dialogue was a little bit like exposition heavy because they had to uh, explain what, you know, what and who and whatnot. But once it got going, it was a, it was a nice fast paced. I loved his camera crew that was following yeah. him, the dynamic of his camera crew and the dialogue was very, very sharp and pointed like Hollywood. You know, it was a good parody of, of how really a reality show, uh, you know, a lot of the situations with that reality crew are like what a real, they, that's what a real crew is. A bunch of like stoners and goofballs that you get as your cameraman and, you know, boom guy and everything like that. And then it ends up turning out that the cameraman's the guy who like gives Herc the pep talk and stuff, right. and you know inspires him and stuff. And that's really how it is. And you know, with the and the two producers squabbling over it and and all of that. That was that was all very. It was all. It reminded me of the second Hercules miniseries in the eighties. It was very comedic and then ended with a really grim. You know, I mean, they sort of set this up that like maybe Hercules didn't kill them. But I like the fact that his wife was like, nobody gets that drunk, you know, that right. basically, you know, it was like you, you, you actually killed us on purpose, you know, which was pretty, in, a pretty intense end to a pretty goofy and funny comic. See, that was know? the thing is I, I wanted your reaction really to that last issue because really, you know, th this Get Chris, Chris to Read a Superhero comic is really supposed to be one issue. So I almost had you do just the one but i think that you would miss something if you only did the last issue because i, I would have read the all five of them anyway because it's they were great you know i would if i would have read that fifth well if i would have read the fifth one i wouldn't have maybe known how funny it was right but um i, I remember no it was a quick fun read you know what i mean it was great see when i read this originally it was one of those where I liked the first four, and it was one of those where it was just enough to keep me going on to the next one, but it was one of those things was like, I don't know about this. It seems like they're poking too much fun. The, some of the humor was a little off the mark, but it was enough to keep me going because I was really into what was going on, you know, in the well, it was the just funny. It was like, who, who in the Marvel Universe is he going to pick on next? Right, you yeah. Know? But then it gets to that last issue, and I still feel like that last one is... A, is it's huge, you know. It's a it's a real punch in the gut, and it's it totally well, changes the, feeling. the whole feel of. Palmiotti read the myth of Hercules and goes, "Well, shit, nobody ever talks about that he killed his wife and kids, right? Yeah, you know, and said, I better, you know, I better address that in the comic book. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, I don't know if he had to address it, but it worked out. Pre it was, it was, it resolved. I mean, it, it resolved very easily. You know, it resolved with them going. Eh, forget about it. It's all right. And then, you know, he puts flowers on the, the grave and stuff at the, you know, gets a tender moment at the grave or whatever. But I tell you what, um, this, you know, it doesn't happen very often with, with anything on the, on the written page or whatever, or, you know, comics, novels, whatever. But this one actually chokes me up because that panel where 
his wife walks up to him in hell, you know, it's essentially hell, and he kneels before her with his head down, and she lifts his head. When she lifts up his head to, to, to look at his face, and he's got tears just streaming down his face, that kills me every time I see it. I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's a really powerful moment of that story where you seldom see Hercules truly humbled, but in that moment, he's brought really low, and it was great. I wonder why his family's in hell. <laughs> yeah, I, why, yeah, you know. that occurred to me. I, I don't know why I didn't think of it the first time I read it, but reading this, I was like, okay, I can see maybe the they wife... They were pirating movies. <laughs> 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 it's not really talked about in the shit. myths, but oh, yeah, they, they, were, they were bootlegging copies of Dark Knight, and that's what got them there. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. But, I mean, you know, the kids are kids. I mean, they're young kids. So, yeah, on this reread, because I, I read it along with you, you know, for this episode, reread it, it occurred to me that, wow, these kids seem like they're young enough that they should still be innocent and not go to hell. Not know? go to hell. <laughs> right. And I'm wondering, where's the where's the big deal of, like, all right, so he had a reality show, but wouldn't it be a big deal if you came back with some actual footage of hell? Right. I mean, I realize wasn't Art Bell? Didn't Art Bell have somebody who had um, audio from hell? Yes, from that hole into the ground, and and it was basically some people probably playing a tape of people screaming through a metal pipe or well, something. Well, I tell you what, you know, to to describe that to somebody who hasn't heard it probably sounds like the most ridiculous shit ever. And I remember the build up to the to that being played on the show, and I was like, oh god, you know. But then they played it. And it was enough to like really send shivers. You know what I mean? It it was it was creepy sounding, but Art Bell just like so overdrawn. Oh, he was just yeah. like, I'm telling you, <laughs> send shivers up your spine, and <laughs> make you think. It'll make you think. Yeah, it'll make you think how somebody made such a good recording of you know. And going back to your question a moment though, here's my no prize. I actually uh, I thought about this. I was trying to remember what my no prize was. It, it's possible. That this isn't so much hell, is that it's just like the realm of the dead sort of thing. You know, where this is where everybody that's dead. Well, it's Hades, yeah. But there's, you know, there's still there's the um, there's the um, rivers. You know, the river sticks with the with the um, what you call it? You know, the ferryman. Right. Don't pay the ferryman. But uh, so I didn't. Get yeah, Jim that, Henson joke at all. Did you get that? I guess he was making just a puppet joke that the guy was like a skeleton, you know, a skeleton in a, you know, that maybe yeah. he was like a puppet. I don't think it was the the greatest joke at all, though. Right. No, I didn't get that at all. But yeah, wouldn't wouldn't the world go nuts if they actually showed up with footage from like hell and were like, "Hey, look at the the last episode of this reality show is pretty uh, pretty intense. It's not, actual not footage the from hell." Universe. Right, you know those people have seen I mean, shit would that be, would turn you white. So it would be it would be good it would be good news for you know. Um, yeah, hell showing up on you know Fifty Second Street is like Wednesday in the Marvel yeah. universe, you know. So, and I apologize that I was making some noise there. I thought I was muted. I apologize. <laughs> I don't like to do that. It's very unprofessional for something I don't get paid for. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, so we'll take it out of your paycheck. <laughs> he says as I sit here crunching He's chips into the microwave. 
What's that you say? God, I, I, I'd go for some salsa um, right now. I didn't like the cover of the first issue of this, but I liked the rest of the covers. They had a sort of Richard Corbin feel to them. There was one issue, and I want to say it was number four, where I thought the art took a serious step down. It looked very rushed compared to all the other issues, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that was just me, but... Yeah, I liked the art. I like uh, I like Texiera quite a bit, and Palmiotti's you know always a fantastic inker. The the writer I was not at all familiar with on that Chieri, I guess. Oh, I thought it was Palmi. I was I don't know. I was, as soon Palmiotti as I saw Palmiotti's it, I name, I was just thinking he was the writer. No, I think he just inked on this, reason. but I I did. I enjoyed it a, a, a whole lot, and uh, it's it's actually made me curious now to go check out. I guess there's been. Uh, well, I knew that there was a Hercules. He took over the Hulk's book for a while, but I guess there was actually some sort of event in recent Marvel history that involved Hercules as well. So I, I need to go check that he, out. Uh, I, I, he had the better part of the Secret Invasion event. Um, the The Incredible Hercules, though, is well worth it. I have most of that leading. I stopped around Secret Invasion, but it was a fun book month after month because he was palling around with this kid named Amadeus Cho, right. who was the seventh smartest person on the planet. And it was just a great book. It was just a fantastic... Uh, Greg Pak really nailed that character. And he's got a new series out now where he, he's lost most of his god powers. Huh. So, Is that Herc? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. I I like that the 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 Greek gods in this were conducting their business in boardrooms now too. And Zeus looked like the Godfather. I thought that was pretty funny. They, uh, well, what's funny is when he goes into the underworld and the one guy he calls the Mafia the Romans. I love that. I had to think about that for like a second, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I also I like that he had he had changed his name back to Hades because he said he'd heard one one too many references to a cartoon dog. Yeah, you know, for yeah. Pluto. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> you would, man. So for next time, what do we got? Because we, uh, I think we're far enough removed from your your prior uh, your prior review of of the Shazam stuff that we could do a Shazam a new beginning next time. Because that one's still on the docket, unless you've uh, received other Sounds... suggestions or anything. No, that's I think I think that's I don't know if I've gotten any other suggestions. If I did, I'll I'll write them down. But that one I I'd like to read that. So that sounds good. Cool. I know. Any, so any excuse to reread that, I'm fine. Yeah, me too. Cool. So next time, Shazam: a New Beginning. Chosen from among all others by the immortal elders Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, Billy Batson and his mentor travel the highways and byways of the land on a never-ending mission to right wrongs, to develop understanding, and to seek justice for all. In time of dire need, young Billy has been granted the power by the immortals to summon awesome forces at the utterance of a single word. which transforms him in a flash into the mightiest of mortal beings, Captain Marvel!
everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Deacon and Geek is a podcast for the geek and everyone. Please join your host, Peregrine and D-Man, each week as they discuss all the things that geek guys love to talk about from the sci-fi, fantasy, and comic genres. For movies, TVs, comics, novels, and games, seek out Definitive Geek. Available on iTunes or at DefinitiveGeek.Podomatic.com. It's up to me again. I got the synopsis. Synopsis to this Walking Dead number 35 and um we're starting off this issue right where we left off in the last one with Rick and his crew returning from Woodbury all whatever they're all living there whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger existence 
and they find that the prison's open and flooded with dead and just sort of in chaos. So Glenn kind of freaks out and ditches everybody that's, that are standing outside the car, gets into the car and sort of plows into the prison because he wants to find out what happened to Maggie. So the rest of them run in after him and are fighting off the dead and uh, Rick, to his horror, notices one of the dead that are attacking him is Otis, or was Otis. So Andrea and Dale emerge from the camper and tell them, you know, the place has been overrun. Otis obviously has been killed and Herschel was bit. So um, Glenn, they pull Glenn out of the car and he's out cold, but he sort of wakes up after being stunned and he goes inside to find Maggie and Andrea, meanwhile, heads off to uh, the guard tower so she can just pick off zombies. And uh, Rick goes inside and, and is instantly reunited with Carl, his wife, and Tyrese, who all tell him to, you know, take five. He's, when they see, especially when they see that his hand's been uh, lopped off. Once, you know, and he also, he also sees Herschel, who reassures him that he was grazed by a friendly fire bullet and wasn't bitten. Dale and Andrea probably saw the blood and, and just assumed that he'd been bitten. So, uh, once the crew gets back to work and, you know, wipes out all the zombies in the yard and, and starts burning the bodies, things start getting back to normal. Uh, Glenn and, uh, and Maggie have a little reunion and, uh, Glenn, well, after what appears to be, you know, a few nights of just continuous sex, notices the smell of burning bodies and runs out and, uh, tells Tyrese and Axel to save the female bodies for him. He wants to go over them before they throw them in the fire, which they find a bit odd, but what it turns out he's doing is he's looking for a good wedding ring, and he uh, he finds a nice one. So it looks like he's looking to propose. So just as things seem to be going well, um, somebody just sort of offhandedly mentions that, you know, Martinez has been missing for a couple hours. And if you'll remember, Martinez is the guy who was a guard at Woodbury who helped them escape and they brought with him. So Rick freaks out. He, he realizes Martinez is probably on his way back to Woodbury to uh, tell all the, all the rest of the assholes there about the prison and, and lead him back. So that's where we end off. Excellent synopsis, sir. Thank you. Um, yeah, once again, <laughs> Kirkman never lets you get on your feet for very long no. a lot of times, you know, and if he does, he's getting ready to knock you down. So, you know, you know, it just, yeah, these, these, these poor guys, it's just one thing after another. And, uh, you know, luckily it wasn't too traumatic, except it's kind of sad. Otis was kind of a nice guy, you know, it's kind of sad. To, to see Otis go. He was a racist. Yes, he was a racist. But I also like that, like, stuff like that sort of happens, quote-unquote, off-camera in this comic, you know? Like, life, you know, they just sort of come in. You just get a glimpse of Otis, like, isn't he kind of just sort of like a torso? He's just sort of like a crawling torso by that point. His guts is all ripped open. Yeah, he's in bad shape. He's seen better days. That should, the, uh, that should be the that should be the follow up. I'm sorry. That should be the follow up to Walking Dead. The 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 the, the, the crawling torso. <laughs> the creeping torso. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Wasn't there a horror film? There, there was it, The Crawling Hand or something like that. Mm-hmm. The Hand with uh, Michael. The King. Hand, yeah. <laughs> Where uh, screenplay by Oliver Stone. And, no way. Directed by Oliver Stone. The uh, the artist, the guy that provided all the art, and the the hand that they showed drawing was Barry Windsor Smith. Oh. <laughs> now on the. Uh, Damn, pages are not numbered again. I think it's the second page, but I'm not sure. But the top panel where... Uh, all right, so Glenn squeals out, right? Takes off with the car. And at the bottom of the, the page before we see Rick going, Glenn, no. And then the top of the next page, he's hitting a, a corpse. And the guy is literally, like, coming unglued. Is that Robert Kirkman? Because doesn't, doesn't he kind of look like this zombie that's getting plowed over with the car? Well, does it Kirk? Yeah, it sort of looks like him. Doesn't Kirkman have a beard though? Like a Kevin? Well, this guy this does have like kind a of a stew. goatee. Yeah, yeah. Like a shaggy. A little bit of, little bit of chin pubes working there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it very well could be. Because I had heard that if you look at the zombies, that you know, the uh, frequently the zombies are you know famous people or celebrities or other comics people or what. And up till now, I've never recognized anybody. But I kind of wonder if that's supposed to be Kirkman because I think it kind of vaguely resembles. I don't know if he wears glasses though. This guy's wearing glasses. But uh, I like this issue. It's 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 one of those um, it's one of those actioners where like a lot of shit happens, but it's not really anything to like. At least for me to like really go in depth about it, it just kind of you know gets you from from one point to another. But. Uh, this was one of those issues that, at the time, I wasn't sure exactly how I felt about it because several times over the course of this series, Kirkman does shit like this to us, where it, it ends on some horrible, horrible cliffhanger where you're just imagining the worst. You're thinking, oh, they are so fucked. But then the next issue, they're okay. You know? And then a couple well, it's, issues it's down... It's like life. You never know what, how right, it's going to yeah. be. You never know what you're going to get, you know? And he... Try- he are, you, are you suggesting that life is like a box of chocolates, sir? <laughs> yes. A box of zombies. Life is like a box of entrails. <laughs> you never know what's inside them. I, I guess what what makes me feel a little bit... Life is like a bunch of entrails filled with a box of bunch of chocolates. <laughs> Chocolate-covered entrails. <laughs> I, I guess what makes me feel like this is just a bit of a cheat is the only person that was lost, you know, f- and, you know, we, we got that beautiful cliffhanger ending last time where they drive up in the prison, you know, the gates wrecked and the, the place is just completely overrun and you're really thinking the worst. Ultimately, the only person that we lost was arguably the, the least favorite member of the cast that was at the prison anyway, which was Otis, you know? I mean, we didn't, we didn't lose anybody big if you know what i mean you know it, it wasn't carl it wasn't right. laurie it wasn't you know uh the old man or you know what i mean so it felt like just just a little bit of a cheat just a little bit but still an excellent issue i i enjoyed it i like the part and it's 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 right after where um andrea and dale come out of the camper and are like rick um they're coming over and sort of giving him a little bit of up well, Dale's given Rick an update, and on and one side of him is Michonne just hacking heads off corpses, and on the other side's Andrea, just you know picking them off with her with her sniper rifle. 
and they're just having a con- you know they, they, it's the two tough guys get together. they're just having a like they look like two guys standing over the gas pump you know like so are you mowing the lawn this weekend no nah, I think the wife and I are gonna barbecue you know but there it's so there's th- this one is also a good one of of where you're starting to see these guys have been through a lot of shit they're a team and in crisis they act in concert you know right you'll, you'll be that and that's a theme that's been running in a lot of the recent issues too and a lot of the we're in the like mid 80s now and and that the the whole teamwork thing and this is like one of the first things where like there's a crisis but as soon as Rick gets there boom everything everybody falls into place you know and things start getting into order once Rick gets there with uh you know Tyrese is there and 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 Dale and they're and they're kind of badasses but you know, and uh, and Andrea too. Andrea is a real badass. But you know, once you get Glenn, Michonne, and Rick back, and Martinez is turns out to be quite a a scrapper too. So as soon as they show up, everybody just rallies, and I like that. You 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 know, I, I I like that aspect of it because it's the the whole zombie movie thing. It was like the remake of Night of the Living Dead, where she realizes these things are really slow. I could just run by them, you know, right. to where these guys, they don't panic and they go, okay, let's just wade through them. It's it's like, you know, it's like going out and, and tilling the fields, you know, <laughs> except instead of plowing dirt, you're plowing through a solid wall of human flesh. Except Ted fact- had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Excepting the fact that he's saving her life, arguably, I think I'd be really pissed at uh, Dale at the bottom of page six there where he's shooting that zombie that's right in front of, uh, what's her name, Andrea. It looks like that bullet could very easily go right through that zombie and hit her right in the head. I thought that same exact thing. It's just like, and and she's just like, you think she'd at least shoot him a look of this like, careful, fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) What do you got, Mike? What I like about this issue is that it is action freaking packed. It's like wall to wall. Let's get in there. Let's kill some zombies. Holy crap! You're alive. You're alive. You're alive. And then it stops. And I'm like, that's how it would be. Once you get inside and are safe, you'd probably relax and like chris was saying these people are used to this by now so this would be the time they're like "Ah, okay problem's over let's get with the fucking or whatever everybody wants to do we can yeah um i i think the reveal of martinez running off was an issue too soon yeah uh i really would have liked to seen him ingratiate himself in the group so that when he does run, it has a lot more impact to it. That's uh, like the only and, thing about this that was really disappointing, though. Well, I thought that, too. I thought if if I were the governor, I would tell him to hang around there for a few days and figure out how many people are there, what they right. had. Right, assess what they their had, situation. You know, yeah, he doesn't do any of that. Yeah. What their strong points are. There, you know, get a, get a, Get the lay of the land instead of just where it is, you know? Because at that point, Martinez doesn't know that the the you know is the governor's a dickless freak now. You know, so <laughs> look. <laughs> how is that? By the way, 
<laughs> we would have gotten out of there, except Dickless over here stopped us. Is this true? Yes, Your <laughs> Honor. This man has no dick. <laughs> Sorry, Ghostbusters. Cinematic, cinematic masterpieces of timing number three seventy five. <laughs> Shit, that's just what number three seventy five in Bill Murray's book. Yeah, I was about to say it's like three seventy five from that film from Bill Murray. Yeah, <laughs> but I I really liked. You know, Otis being the one that was dead, I kind of agree with Scott. It's just like, really, that's the one you're going to choose? But really, the time wasn't right for anybody else. Um, we never heard him say Mr. Luthor one time either. <laughs> Mr. Luthor, Mr. Luthor, I'm sorry. Mr. Luthor, uh, I'm dead. So I just got raped by a redneck. Oh, wait, wrong movie. <laughs> Look at those cat-like reflexes. <laughs> Anyways, now we're going to be doing Superman movie. Yeah, exactly. Corpse-like reflexes. Otis. Otis <laughs> why, am I, why am I not reading my newspaper? Because I'm dead? <laughs> <laughs> so, other than that, I mean... I, I really, really like this issue, but it's just like one of those things where I just don't have all that much to say about it simply because, you know, it pretty much worked out the way it should have. They find out that not everyone's dead. It turns into a running gun battle. A lot of, as Thomas DJ would say, a lot of punchy, punchy, run, run, uh, you know, or I guess shooty, shooty, run, run in this case. And I love the fact that Tyrese now pretty much has the, the, where the, excuse to say you need to set the fuck down to Rick. You know, it's just like, you've got an arm, look in your wife's eye and tell me that you can go out there right now. And it's got to be hard for Rick because even with the one arm, he's still wanting to run into into the action and be in the thick of it because he's really one of the most experienced of the group. So it makes perfect sense that he would do that. Right. He feels a responsibility to it. I don't think he can even help doing it. It's just like second nature to him. It's part, you know, it's probably why he became a cop. So he's just like, he he can't he can't stop. And and what's funny though is, you know, Tyrese is like, look, you know, your right hand's guy you can't shoot, and he's like, I can kick and stuff. And and um, when I first read this, you know, without the whole fifty comics that come after this. You know, I'm like, man, you know, that's exact. Tyrese is exactly right. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I, I think Tyrese was way underestimating Rick at this point, you know. The, and especially at this point, Rick's even young, like stronger, you know, in, in this. So I think so Rick I think was Tyrese way underestimating actually, Rick at this point. Yes. Yeah. I don't think Rick even had any idea what he had, had what kind of grit he's got in him at this point, you know. Even with having his hand just recently just hacked off, you know, and having to fight his way out of that, you know. The one scene, though, that I love out of everything else involving in this book is, for the most part, part Carl has been a stoic little kid. He's been, you know, I'll never forget, it was, it was the first Walking Dead issue I discussed with you guys back when I was just a guest star on the show is when um what's his name the 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 God, why can't i remember his name the dude that owned the farm 
Herschel. Herschel. When Herschel had the gun out and they had that one panel of you see Carl putting his gun back because he had already drawn it and nobody noticed. And basically Carl was ready to take this guy out. In this issue, he's scared. Yeah. Rick has to take him out and go, see, everything's okay now. And Carl looks frightened. He looks like a little kid. His shoulders are hunched. And And his eyes are really freaking wide. And it's just, oh, my God. (laughs) And I just loved that. I loved that he was able to show that even though Carl's kind of hardened to his experience and is going to be the first of a new generation of human being. He's still a kid. He's still a kid. And and this kind of shit, you know... It's all well and good when you've got like maybe three biters around you and you've got a bunch of adults there and everyone's got guns. But when they've basically invaded your home, it's got to be a little like, oh, so. Well, what I like about Rick is he doesn't he he will stop and he'll explain. It's, you know, like a kid going, mommy, why does Big Bird not lay eggs? And then mommy will go, well, you see Big Bird. or I think Big Bird's a man. I don't know. Or it's a man who talks like a woman or something. I don't know what Big, you know. But he sits and explains it like a kid. But he doesn't really sugarcoat anything, you know. He's blunt well, you and, can't. He's, and honest with him. Yeah, you can't, but a lot of people would. But Rick realizes, you know. He's he realizes he's a kid, but he can't be a kid like you used to be a kid, and and you know and also kids are tough, you know if they have to be, but they're still kids. It's yeah, it's a beautiful scene. The the artwork just covers the body language of a kid, and he's sticking real close to his dad. You know, you can see him just sort of. The best I can compare it to would be like the generation where you know you had kids growing up on a farm that where you became very aware very quickly how dangerous nature really is. Yeah. So, you know, you know, getting bit by a snake or getting, you know, like falling caught into a threshing machine. Yeah, caught in a thresher uh, like Pa Kent's brother in Man of Steel. Um, you know, all that stuff becomes kind of part of, you know, like you could still be a kid, but you're just there are things that soberly make you aware of the fact that you live in a dangerous world that can kill you yeah. any moment. Oh, well, and, yeah, sex, you know, sex for for like a farming kid, you know, is a whole different animal too because you know, they they so see the whole, whole you know process of life and are aware of how the whole, you know, thing works far earlier than say a city kid, you know, theoretically because they actually see you know, the, when, the, yeah. when, the when you cows, see a cow, well, here's the difference: like the country that, kids know? see the cows hump, and the city kids see their dad's pornos. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's Which in those days was like stick figures, and it wasn't really all that titillating. So, no. <laughs> but 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 no, yeah, just, I, just a really solid I, issue. I don't know if it's the same thing in New York as it used to be, but I remember when I was a kid, my friend Carl Carpinetti could drive. From 12 years old on, he could he could get a permit to drive motor vehicles like trucks and cars and tractors on the road if he was doing farm work. And I remember going, how can he get a license at 12 years old? And it's like, and his dad saying, you know, farm kids know how to drive cars, you know. <laughs> 
and and he could you know at 12 years it was the coolest thing in the world to get in the back of the pickup truck and he would drive me down to the other barn you know and it was just like holy cow my friend's driving me in a truck and he's 12 years old you know and we can't get in trouble <laughs> so let's get liquored up <laughs> <laughs> so then we go and run run over homeless people <laughs> Until you run into that hobo with a shotgun. Oh, until the hobo with a shotgun. Everybody go out and see hobo with a shotgun. I still need to see it. Oh, that's awesome. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey, you! Yes, you! Hearing this message? Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, 
like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera, but also lesser-known monsters like Gappa, Yongari, and Giyawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school at EarthDestructionDirective.blogspot.com. Check it out, won't you? And remember, the EDD has got their eyes on you! 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 Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. As the wheel turns, the podcast from Peregrine and D-Man, the Definitive Geeks, discussing Robert Jordan's Wheel Time series. Please join us as we share insights and revelations regarding this epic fantasy series. We would welcome yours as well. Please email DefendantGeek at gmail.com. Definitive Geek is available on iTunes or at DefendantGeek.podomatic.com. Oh.